Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to this podcast, season four, episode 40. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. And also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. So let's dig in with some headlines. Jonathan, you're up first. I am. And uh, yeah, we'll get started with Thor, Love, and Thunder. We got the first teaser trailer for the new Thor picture this week and it was a little melancholy it was not quite as um plot heavy obviously it's just a teaser it's a minute it's not uh, you know it's it's reflective Thor's looking back after his long adventures and he's you know talking about how he's going to rediscover himself he's doing a little uh, little crossfit he's getting himself back into shape after being uh the the jokingly named uh, fat Thor for the last uh, Avengers movie and uh yeah it's it seems like it's sort of um him sort of trying to find his peace after uh fighting in the infinity war and uh and all that stuff that led up to it and we get a couple of interesting uh visuals we got not only do we get to see him drop the weight get a a, a new look we get a little guardians of the galaxy in there obviously at the end of the uh, game he and the guardians head back out into outer space and we get uh, a look at new asgard again the uh this the city that he uh, helped found there bringing the asgardians to earth and we get a look at the new thor which is mm. kind of the stinger of this whole thing that, that there's a new Thor holding a seemingly reforged Mjolnir. Yeah. It's and... a different name though, right? Like a different, like, isn't it Thor or something? Right. Cause so here's the thing, like that was only a minute long, that, that teaser. Yeah. It was yeah, a minute 29. I watched like. an 11 minute breakdown of that. After oh yeah. I'll bet you did. I bet you did. <laughs> 
you know, like the guy just went into every, like he went into like, you know, oh, what, when he was running, like, I didn't, I didn't catch it, but the part when he's running at the beginning and he starts as a little boy and then as a teenager, and when he was a teenager, he's wearing the sort of the classic store. Yeah, he's wearing the Kirby uniform the, the from the 1960s Jack Kirby iteration, yep. Right, and he's, this is the thing where he's running past the trees, and then, and then, uh, and I didn't even notice, I mean, I couldn't tell that that was uh, Natalie Portman as, as the final Thor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave her a different name. He called the, the heavy Thor, Bro Thor. Bro Thor, yeah, well, yeah, yeah there's been a few um, savory and unsavory nicknames for what uh, what they did to poor Chris Hemsworth in that last movie, but uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, because it does, uh, it looks very much like it's taking inspiration from where we thought it would come from when they announced they were going to do Love and Thunder, and they were going to do the Natalie Portman Thor. It There's a couple visuals in there that are like straight out of the Jason Aaron, the sad Ribich, um, run from the comic books from maybe, maybe six, seven years ago. So this is, this is kind of a leap too. like, they're leaping really into the modern Marvel storytelling stuff. Like a lot of the stuff that they've pulled from has been a little older winter soldiers, a little newer, but, but a lot of the stuff they sort of draw for inspiration has been coming from sort of older stories. This one's really like, you know, ripped from the recent headlines. This is, this is a considered one of the all time great Thor runs, which Jason Aaron just wrapped up like two years ago. Um, so we didn't actually get to see the the main villain. They didn't even really tease that. Although that one visual where you see that gigantic beast lying on its side, that is a a page for page match from a drawing from one of the books. It's a it's a or the one where he's lifting the chains. Like no, well that, oh. there's that one, but the it's the one where he's standing on a rock and he's looking out across and he sees this sort of gigantic dragon type beast lying dead on its side. That scene is is an almost exact copy of one of Sadarevich's um, uh, drawings. Mm-hmm. So they're they're clearly going to do the whole God Bomb storyline um, that came out a few years ago, and then they're going to jump part of that and mix it in with the stuff that came after it, which is the the female Thor, uh, you know, who's worthy, why, all that kind of stuff. So uh, having read all that. It's amazing. It's an amazing set of stories. I highly recommend if anybody wants to brush it up before they go and watch the movie, you will not regret it. The art is gorgeous. The storytelling is beautiful. It's it's one of the best comics I've read in the last decade. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they mush that all into like a two and a half hour movie because they're kind of jumping a few different storylines and it looks like they're kind of amalgamating them. So the, the guy in, in the, the commentary thing that I watched um, talked about the is it the the Stormbringer the the big axe thing that he yeah. uh, made for him yeah yep and he plants it in the ground like he put it, like I said sort of like a grave marker or whatever but like the guy pointed out that that was actually made from Groot's arm it was so does that does that mean that Groot's arm is going to grow into another Groot or something like that or. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think the symbolism there is supposed to be that, you know, he's now seeking peace. He's not looking for, for fights anymore. But of course, with the best of intentions, lots of uh, noble people have laid down their arms only to have to pick them back up again. So. Right, and then Q comes along and snaps his finger. That's the yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so does this mean it's the end of the Chris Helmsworth Thor or will he does he come back in the in the com- Well, you said there's all kinds of comic books. Yeah, no, I mean, Thor in the comic books through uh, circumstances of a storyline basically becomes Thor the unworthy. He's unworthy of holding Mjolnir. Oh, Mjolnir and yeah. so um, 
in the storyline in the comics, he can't have that. So he ends up taking up a different weapon. And instead of going by Thor, he basically starts going by Odinson. Um, and okay, right, yeah. he gives the name Thor to this new warrior. And then the identity of the warrior uh, that we obviously has been pretty widely known that it's Natalie Portman playing Jane Foster playing Thor in the comic books. It's a mystery for a little while. They really string it out for about almost a year. They, they strung the storyline out as to which female character it could be that has become it. He thinks maybe it's Sif at one point. He thinks maybe it's, you know, a couple other characters that he's been associated with in his comic run. And he doesn't think it's Jane because Jane is, is very sick in the comic books at that point, And it couldn't possibly be her because she's very sick. Um, so I, there's a lot of speculation that they're going to carry that storyline into the comics as well. That, that um, part of the reason why Jane is worthy is because uh, Jane is ill. And, and so she's ill when she's herself and she's not when she's, when she's Thor. So mm, interesting. I just got to point out for the fans of, at home there that my naming Storm, Stormbringer I feel like Penny in the Big Bang Theory, like mentioning dropping a Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Where did that come from? She said, "Right." <laughs> I, I put a check mark on my ledger. Don't worry, I got you. All right, so over to you, honey, for a bit of exciting news. Yeah, um, this is one of those ones that crosses over in the uh, MTJC verse, right, or the more than just verse of. Could arguably be more than just could, could arguably be here on Spotcast. The title is AMC is now letting you buy movie tickets with Dogecoin, the cryptocurrency that is the, the meme factory. Uh, l- less so in the sun nowadays, but apparently somebody decided it might be a good idea. Uh, oh, actually, Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, the competitive meme coin related to, to, uh, to dogs um, and cryptocurrency, so... So do these things actually have value? Like the me- the other one, is that the cat one? or? But I mean, no, like, do Shiba these, Inu these is coins a, actually have value? I mean, in as much as any sort of speculative asset might have value. Is it like 10,000 Dogecoin to see a movie now, or what? Like, well, it says, like a, uh, it says as of this writing, which was from April 15th, about a week ago, uh, a matinee screening of Sonic 2 and a large popcorn drink combo cost... Two hundred thirteen point five three nine six two seven Doge, or what is this number here? One million two hundred four thousand seven hundred thirty nine point seven zero four seven four zero Shib, which is a Shiba Inu. Wow, that, or, that's kind of the way these things sort of work, bucks, right? <laughs> the, the the you know, if you if you love the decimals in the metric system, boy golly, you're sure going to love all the significant digits when it comes to dealing with crypto. It, it you start sounding like um data when he's taking over the enterprise <laughs> putting that huge lock pin code using picard's voice right right by the way we we don't love the decimals in in the metric system we round up <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it's um kind of weird in in some ways i think it's something that amc is almost certainly doing to get a little bit of um uh, a little bit of its mojo back right because it's been a tough couple years of the pandemic and closures and it's been tough with the the battle of the the uh the gamestop meme folks in the uh the wall street bets subreddit so i feel like there's a lot here where it, it's it's serious in that it's mostly a marketing sort of gimmick but you know they've made it legitimately 
more useful to use your currency. That's almost like making it legit. Um, all right. So my, my story here is, is, um, about Brent Spiner. We've talked about him, you know, we've seen him now in, um, uh, in this new version of Picard, Picard season two, where he's now playing, um, Adam Sung, um, and he's, you know, inventing life forms, willing them to be, as we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but we've talked about his different roles in, in the show. And so the, this article here covers off the, the many, many phases of, uh, Brent Spiner's roles on, on the Star Trek season, on Star Trek uh, series all, all in. So of course he's Lieutenant Commander Data initially in the very first episode of the, the next generation. Um, and then he goes on to become his brother, his older brother, I think, Lore, right? Um, who I can't remember is Lore disassembled. No, that's before, right? But because he discovers Lore somewhere on a planet or something like that in the stories. Yep. Um, and then before they find before is a is a dis- disassembled um, data type. Uh, I don't know what do we call these things? Stooming in robots or stooming in androids? Um, and then of course he played himself. Or he played positronic uh, his, life forms. I think is the term. Uh, yeah. Right, and then he found, um, or sentient life beings, yeah, he's he's found, uh, uh, he, sorry, he played the, uh, the creator of Data and Lore and B4, Dr. Noonien Soong, with, you know, heavy heavy makeup on. Uh, he also played Eric Soong in um, one of the episodes or two of Star Trek Enterprise, um, called Borderland, I think Cold Station, or three, looks like three episodes, he played that, and he also played... Alton Ingo Soong, which I believe is in Picard season one. That's the one who gives him the, gives Picard the golem body that he can use, right? Yep. Um, and then he's, now he's playing Dr. Adam Soong, as I mentioned earlier in, in Picard season two. And he's sort of the, in this particular timeline, he's the, he's the, the, uh, Soong who creates, uh, creates life. And, you know, as well, as we'll talk about later when I cover the show, um, he and, he and Gerardi get together at the end there and, and, you know, form a plan. But, uh, um, yeah, and, and, and as we know, in this altered timeline, the, the Sung legacy lived on and, and sort of became, you know, like he's in statues and he sings songs about him and stuff like that. But it's very interesting to see, you know, as we mentioned before, uh, I think Jonathan said it once, Brent Spiner's sort of really getting the, getting his money's worth out of this role as, uh, oh, look, they have Luke, Luke Skywalker's speeder now from Lego. Hmm. It's the world of advertising. <laughs> but, uh, Yeah. So that's my story about uh, Brent Spiner. I think um, it's to his credit that those characters feel different, right? It's um, it's not as if they're right up against each other commonly in a, uh, a Moon Knight esque sort of way. Uh, so we'll, we'll probably give some kudos to Oscar Isaac pretty pretty soon here. But the the characters do feel different, even though it's the same actor playing them. Uh, there's some through lines of like the Soong family has strong arrogance in it with. B4 and Data being the only exceptions that, that don't have that attitude. So I feel like he's built a, a through line through all of the, the Soong family. There's a moral in there somewhere. You yeah. can, just because you come from a family of schmucks doesn't mean you have to be a schmuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's funny. It, well, when he loses his temper, he always sounds like the same person. But the, um, the, uh, there's, a, there's an interesting through line of, of, um, Portuguese and German um, royalty, where they have this particular chin, and uh, they all, they all, all the the 
know, descendants look the same. And there is almost like a Brent Spiner kind of thing. And I saw it just earlier today. I should have made note of it. And uh, they, uh, it's because of, you know, obviously because of um, the royal family inbreeding that, that this genetic um, sort of trait carried on. So I don't know if that means that, that uh, Soong is inbreeding, but who knows? Um, but just one, one thing interesting too, I noticed today that, that lore is spelled L O R E and Corey is spelled K O R E. So there's like one letter difference between the two names, right? And K comes before L in the alphabet. What does that tell you? Dun, dun, dun. No way. Well, so back over to Jaime for some more exciting news. I'm not sure. Exciting, but you know, this would have sounded absolutely ridiculous a decade ago. A uh, decade? Yeah, yeah, I, I would have known about this um, property a decade ago. Um, and yet, and yet, in a post-Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 world, it feels like a thing I'll give a chance, especially because of who's involved here. The title is Jason Momoa reportedly, reportedly, in talks to star in the Minecraft movie. So I'm, okay, I'm, not, I'm so... not of the Minecraft generation, so it's not as strong for me as it might be for the, the Gen Zers. But, you know, video game movie, normally a disaster. Sonic has has broken the mold. Uh, Jason Momoa, an actor that I've loved in a bunch of different roles, I'm like, okay, I'll give it a chance. So I have a I have some questions and thoughts. So is this going to be presented in Minecraft esque animation? Like, is is Jason Momoa going to be blocked? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be an animated film, live action, a mixture of the two of like like Sonic the Hedgehog, or maybe he's like the normal guy and other people are Minecraft people or maybe he's a minecraft person and you know somebody like a james marsden or other those guys uh kind of person is the is the the straight man in the uh in the in the thing that uh, is like the oh tell me about your story kind of thing right uh i don't know i don't know very early very early rumors here yeah it, it sounds really weird i mean he, i mean is he known for his voice i don't think so right you know he's got a nice voice good. Yeah, no, I could, but it's, I'm saying, like, I reckon I, you know, he could be recognizable by his voice, but I mean, um, he's known for his, you know, enormous size and, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's like the rock sort of thing, right? Maybe it'll be one of those fish out of water stories where, you know, he's a normal dude gets sucked into a Minecraft esque world or something. <laughs> this reminds me in that weird way of, of the whole Lupita Nyongo, you know, playing. Maz Kanata in, in the Star Wars uh, world where you're like, so let me get this straight. You've got an Academy Award winning person who is incredibly talented and incredibly beautiful. And you're going to put her in a room with a bunch of dots in the green screen and, and, you know, wastes the aesthetic as well as, you know, diminish the, the performative aspects. You're going to take Jason Momoa, who is just a, a objectionably extremely handsome man and turn him into a Minecraft character. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm kind of wondering. Weird. It's weird. It's weird. All right, honey, sure. we expect you to stay on this story. We need more details. It might take time because this article says the movie was first announced in 2014 and had different sets of people. So this is one of those, you know, very long, uh, uh, long lived uh, hellish projects when it comes to Hollywood. So we'll, we'll see. Mm. We'll see what happens. Maybe they're waiting for the technology to catch up where they can really render those, those squares correctly, you know, the cubes. That was a complete joke of... I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of video games... I mean, wait, what? What's the next story? Uh, your name on it? Dang it! I lost my place. I I thought it was the uh, Fantastic Beasts. It's the Streets of Rage. My bad. 
Give me a sec. Okay, there we go. Is it a video game? It is a video game. Um, All right. So, again, in a post-Sonic world, uh, I'm I'm more inclined to give this a chance, uh, especially because uh, this Streets of Rage movie, which is uh, Streets of Rage, for those of you not familiar, is a um, a Sega property. It's a side-scrolling beat-em-up. If you've ever played Final Fight uh, from Capcom, it's in that same kind of vein. Uh, But this movie is coming from the creator of John Wick, which made me say, ooh, yeah, that had really good fighting scenes. I sure would like to see what a beat-em-up kind of movie might be like. And, you know, if you if you recall the Double Dragon movie from many, many years ago, uh, you, you hope that something can, can wash that stain out. <laughs> <laughs> to put it like mildly. <laughs> Ouch, yeah. So first of all, I thought it was a racing racing game, but now that you've explained it, it's a, two, a side-scroller. But so I, I wonder, why has no one ever taken, you know, speaking of like Minecraft and the cubes, why has nobody ever taken a, a like a two-dimensional world and made an entire movie where the whole thing moves slowly to the right? Hmm. Sounds like you just made a million-dollar idea, pal. Get in there. <laughs> you found your lane. Register trademark, exactly. Hmm. Copyrights podcast. Yeah, where the laws of physics don't apply and somebody throws a rock at you and just because it crosses you on the two-dimensional plane, it still counts as a hit, you know? Yeah, they did a movie a few years back in the first-person shooter milieu, right? They did, I think it's called Hardcore Harry or Hardcore Henry or something. And you're just looking down the barrel of a gun sort of thing? Basically, like, you are, the first perspective is is you as the the protagonist and so you see hand you see the hands come out you see the feet come out but like you are your perspective is the hero's perspective i have not watched the movie but i did watch the trailer and did think oh that's an interesting way to approach a movie it looks terrible but it's a really interesting way to make a movie yeah like just every sci-fi movie from like the 70s and 80s right mm-hmm. i mean not every every 3d movie i mean <laughs> yeah yeah you know where the things are coming at you constantly yeah. Anyway, weird. Indeed. And now it's a Fantastic Beast. Now it's Fantastic Beasts. Well, Fantastic Beasts, which we spoke about in our previous episode, we weren't sure how this would perform given the sort of ever diminishing returns of uh, the expanded Harry Potter verse. Well, the answer is not well. Um, so, debuted with a franchise low 43. 43- million dollar debut at the box office domestic last weekend uh this compares to the original which uh, fantastic beasts and where to find them which came in at 74 million and crimes of grindelwald which came in at 62 million now of course you have to account for the pandemic both of those came out in a pre-pandemic world so is 43 million dollars proportionally worse than 62 million dollars in 2018 Mm, you can make a case Either way, it was not exactly gangbusters. I'm sure it will continue to to rack it up. And I'm sure by the time it gets to the streaming, on demand, blah, 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 it'll probably make up, you know, some of it. But I mean, we're still talking about a $200 million picture, uh, more or less. And they can't be happy with this. Now, it doesn't happen very often that a planned trilogy, quadrology, quintology, whatever, gets canned partway through. We did see it a few years back 
there was a series of of young adult books called uh divergent the divergent series mm, right and they made three of those and they did the same thing each one was subsequently poor reviewed and poor performing and there was supposed to be a fourth and final conclusionary story to wrap up the storyline but part three did so poorly that they basically just pulled plug on it and, and left everybody with nothing which i thought was really I, i'm genuinely surprising move i believe that was Lionsgate at the time that made the call to do that very surprising to see that there wasn't the wherewithal to at least wrap it up so they could package it up as a, you know, Hey, here's the whole story kind of deal. But I think even the actors involved were like, can we just go now? Like it's just, just it got like a three on rotten tomatoes. Like nobody wanted to see it. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's, it's, it would be monumental to have Warner brothers pull the plug on this. I wonder if this doesn't sort of get its money back and more, if they would make that call or if they would shorten it from a quintology, which is what they said it would be that's five pictures to a quadrology is four, just so that they can cut their losses at this point and, you know, to sort of wrap up the storyline. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, like these aren't, these aren't movies that they're making on the cheap. Like they're still costing them between the visual effects and, and the costumes and the sets and the whole nine. And, and these are very effects heavy movies. It's, it's still costing them, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to make these movies. So, you know, are you in for a penny in for a pound or are you, you know, do you just call it a day and walk away? So the question I have too is in, in this, you know, the falling out of, of JK Rowling's and, in, in public media was that between the last two between movie two and three of this this franchise it was i think it was ongoing through the the i think it it happened i think after one during two and continued to precipitously go downward from there so yes there's quite possibly the aspect of this isn't to do with the movie it's more to do with the the sort of stain on the on the franchise yeah i mean the thing she did co-write this this is not you know without her influence yeah the the thing the thing about it is though is that like when you compare the harry potter storyline to this i mean it had an attraction because it started out as a a movie for you know 10 11 year old 12 year old kids um and and adults that liked the kind of story you know um it was the it was the the portrayal of of a really popular series of books um, and, you know, all the way through it, even, even to the very end, kind of like, you know, the, the kids who kind of grew up reading it as young kids and having their parents having read to them when they were younger and then eventually, you know, picking it up and doing it themselves. That, you know, that, I think that had more, you know, appeal to a, a mass audience, you know, primarily through the kids, right? Whereas the Fantastic Beasts thing is more... It's the world of wizarding, but it's it's kind of like more along the lines of Men in Black, or but not as, not quite as good as that. You know what I mean? But like Men in Black, or or the what's the secret secret, secret agent one with um um uh, the English dude, um, you know, like the, Kingsman, the, and Kingsman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those kind of movies, you know, like they're they're. I don't know if that, that probably started out as a, as a series of books too, right? But. I don't know. I think it's it's hard to sort of 
take something that take like you know golden circle didn't do quite as well as he thought it would right or golden compass i should say um because that last movie we just had a movie come out for that or no a series was on uh, netflix or amazon or hbo max did the his dark materials right Oh, that was that that one. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. that was the other one too. That that was on uh, with uh, Rosman Pike. Oh, that was Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Yeah. How was that one done? I mean, you know, again, so hard to tell given that they don't really release the numbers the same way, right? Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. True. I, I I didn't hear a lot of popular buzz. I think the only person I know who finished it, I think, was you, Jaime. Yeah, I thought it was good. I. I think it's getting a second season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. It's hard to keep track of these things. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of the weird things with Fantastic Beasts is I actually like the first movie. And I, I feel less good about the second movie. And this third movie, you know, I'll, I'll end up watching it, I think, as we, we sort of joked before, probably on an airplane sort of thing. I think maybe part of the problem I'm having that maybe others are having is. Newt Scamander is kind of weirdly important, right? Like when you when you boil it down into non-wizarding things, it's like, hey, what if Steve Irwin was heavily involved in the fight against Adolf Hitler? And and when I think about, it, does that make sense in the Harry Potter universe? I'm like, hmm, does does Newt Scamander end up in a Better Call Saul moment? Like, why didn't they send Harry and company to go find Newt Scamander, the guy who like became critical in the fight against Grindelwald to at least ask his opinion. Hey, how should we fight Voldemort? So I'm like, either he, he, he gets an Echeb or, or a Saul kind of ending of these, or maybe these, this whole, um, quintology of movies maybe should have been more of like an MCU sort of thing of like, yes, you know, people make appearances, there's some through lines, but it's, you know, different stories in the same universe and not necessarily one serialized tied together thing the way that uh, the Harry Potter original books and films are. Yeah. I've, I've kind of had the thought as, as I've watched the first two and it's funny because uh, the, some of the articles talking about sort of what to expect from this third picture was saying, well, they've put the focus a lot more on Jude Law's Dumbledore because I think a lot of people were looking for those firmer ties to the original source material. I wonder if the whole sort of purpose of this is to build towards the noble death of Newt's commander, right? Like, as you say, Jaime, I think, you know, it seems strange to build the character up and then have him not really even exist by the time they get around to the the fight against Voldemort. I I can only think maybe he's meant to die a noble death and, and, you know, that's part of the, the, the sort of clinching factor that Dumbledore has to take out Grindelwald or something. Yeah, like I think they could have still done uh, individualized films. Like Fantastic Beasts works pretty well. Maybe there's a little bit of a blend into the you know continuing life of the 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 secret agent wizards in America kind of plot line. But he starts comes in the background, and then this film with the weird name of Fantastic Beasts: colon, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Like, would it feel different if it was just Dumbledore Begins? <laughs> you know, and it's it's it, it's sort of maybe you know Newt's Commanders tastefully there but it's largely a this is a dumbledore story that has some callbacks to things that happened in the prior two movies but isn't necessarily part of a trilogy or a quintology sort of thing like 
they could they could have learned from the whole Marvel franchise and done like um like done a couple of newt uh, what I can't even say the newt newt movies and then uh Scamander and then uh they could have done like a Dumbledore movie like why wouldn't they just put Dumbledore's name right on the t- on, I mean it is on the tin but it's not not the first name on the tin you know what I mean like I think I'm they sure underestimated they... Uh, overestimated the what they done on the first one or they underestimated the pull back to the source material Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I do, like, having watched the, the, the trailer just a minute ago, like, like as you guys were talking, I definitely do want to see this movie. But, um, you know, like, I just, again, it's also coming off the pandemic. I don't know if I want to go sit in a room with, you know, yeah, 500 crazy people and watch it, right? So, yeah. Uh, well, judging by its box office returns, I think sooner than later, you'll be able to watch it in a pretty empty theater. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, I think they could have made Grindelwald the equivalent of Thanos in Marvel phase one, right? Kind of in the background mm-hmm. comes increasingly part of the forefront until you end up having the, the showdown movie with Dumbledore. So um, I'm unclear why they went that the direction they've gone up uh, for what it's worth. Um, tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes says 47% from the critics, but 85% for the audience. So, so maybe this will do pretty well on streaming or something. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people in the same boat who are thinking, you know, I'm going to be more careful with which movies I would make the effort to go see this year. This one doesn't quite pass muster as it didn't for for any of us. But, you know, if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I want to, you know, be be cautious and I will make effort to see, you know, a handful of movies this year because I don't feel it's entirely safe are you going to pull the trigger on fantastic beasts three? Or are you going to go for Dr. Strange and Thor and, you know, insert movie that you're desperate to see here. I know where I'm putting my money. Right. That's nice. So this broke just uh, on the same evening that we were uh, recording our previous episode, but I, I thought we should definitely just throw this one out here. So, uh, There was a merger recently between, well, purchase, I suppose. Discovery bought WarnerMedia, $43 billion, and has made them into one of the largest uh, entertainment companies on the planet. So as part of this, there's an article from Variety, or Variety.com, if you will, that basically spells out that as part of this, they are looking at a massive overhaul and restructuring of DC comics, DC entertainment that could affect television projects, film projects, DC comics proper, and try and find a way to align those pieces in a more cohesive fashion, as opposed to the rather ad hoc way that things are being done now where you have some stuff on hbo some stuff on cw a bunch of different creators working on a bunch of different projects across the the films plus even the comic stuff is is pretty fractured and fragmented at that so they apparently were looking at trying to find their own kevin feige i why they wouldn't just back the brinks truck up to mr feige i don't know but <laughs> uh apparently they have considered certain candidates so if, yeah, we've got the link in the show notes i'm not going to get into it it's a quite an expansive article uh talking about their efforts and it's a lot of inside baseball stuff in here this person who worked on this and this person who worked on that the 
idea of this really works for me, but there's one line in here that made me very concerned. I'm going to read this. So Discovery Insiders believe that although DC has achieved cinematic success with recent films such as Aquaman and the Batman, it lacks a coherent creative and brand strategy. Discovery believes that several top-shelf characters such as Superman have been left to languish and need to be revitalized. They also believe that projects like Todd Phillips' Joker are a shining example of how second-build characters from the DC library can and should be exploited. Mm. Now, we just had a conversation. I'm just going to say for the record before I get into that, Brett Lang and Matt Donnelly wrote this article, so I want to give these guys credit because credit is credit, credit where credit's due. This it really is interesting because it speaks exactly to what we talked about in a recent episode of SpockCast where we were talking about the, the, the deep fragmentation of the DC products. My concern is that they are now focusing on the material that is sort of the more obtuse material, the more, you know, uh, Gigi quality of, you know, let's try and win trophies with our work as opposed to let's, you know, let's make billions of dollars. I guess there's something to be said for that. Obviously, Tim, you said Joker was, was really good and, and maybe it is, but it would be a really radical departure for them to, to view that as the goal of, this as opposed to let's make the most money we can using these incredibly well-known pieces of IP. Yeah. I mean, Joker was, was a little hard to approach from the point of view that I, like, as you said, I couldn't see, uh, um, couldn't see a, a, like a, a character carrying a whole movie, but he, he does it pretty well. I mean, um, there is sort of a, I think there's a, a sort of Catwoman y kind of character too, but, um, um, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was not like you, you kept waiting for Batman to show up or something, you know, like, or, or some, for some, you know, Commissioner Gordon or something to sort of come along and sort of, you know, connect you back to the, to the original world that, that, or Gotham City as, as, as it were, right? Um, because by itself, the Joker wasn't, you know, as a character, it was just, it was sort of an odd sort of take on it and sort of, they tried to explain why the Joker is the way the Joker is kind of, you know off off his rocker a bit right um because i mean you know like like i don't i don't know how adults read joker you know back in the 30s and 40s and 50s when he was you know coming into its being cuz cuz it is kind of an insane character right oh yeah um but uh the i mean but you know like like when you're a kid he's just this goofy clown looking guy right um so it is odd. It's, it's again, it's the same, same discussion we just had about taking this sort of edge case character and making an entire franchise around him. You know, when, when the real, um, stars are, are, you know, I mean, what was, uh, McGonagall was, you know, why, why don't they make a movie called McGonagall about, you know, the, 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 the wizard that, you know, is second in command that in, in uh, Hogwarts, right? Um, rather than going finding some odd, you know, zoologist kind of dude, right, and making a movie out of him, right? Um, yeah, it's it's you know, the I think people, I mean, I would you know, we just went and watched the Batman movie because it was the Batman, right? And we and we would watch a movie because it's Superman, hoping that it, at least one of these times they're going to get it right, you know, um, or perfect, uh, perfectly right, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's odd that they just kind of go on this sort of these tangents and like again, you know, they're 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 basing their. Um, I mean, I kind of wonder too. Like, like for me, it begs the question: Did 
Joaquin Phoenix win an Oscar because that should have been Heath Ledger's role. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a character kind of tailor-made. I mean, even Jack Nicholson obviously played it really well. Like, the only, Frankly, the only one that hasn't played it well is Jared Leto. But it's a character tailor-made. He's so complex, and there's so much history that it's kind of a cheat code. You know, I no disrespect to the performances of, of either of the gentlemen, but I'm we're, we're talking cinematically. Fifty percent of the actors that have played up cinematically have won uh, Oscars. I mean, so you know, we're talking about something that's that's clearly, if done right, is award caliber material. So I don't know. I I guess it'll just be interesting to see the lens that they put on DC after this merger, what do they want it to be? Do they want it to be Marvel where it's just, you know, we'll bring in great people and we'll just churn out it, you know, just becomes a a money factory or is the goal, you know, Hey, let's find a way to, you know, take these well-established, well-known characters and, you know, turn them into, you know, the best possible. I mean, say what you will. Obviously, the people who are working for Marvel right now are trying to make the best possible things. But can you objectively say that any of them are trying to win best actor, best no. Uh, no. best picture? I mean, Black Panther notwithstanding. I mean, that was that was great. I thought it was a really good picture, but I, I don't know that it was, I would say, best. It was in the top 10, but I don't think it was my number one picture of the year. You know, I don't. I don't think. I don't think any um, producer, director, actor, story writer, musician, costume maker goes into a movie going, "I'm going to win an Oscar this time." I think that's the last thing on their mind. It, uh, you know, winning an Oscar or winning a Globe, Golden Globe or whatever, you know, is is on the. I think on the merit of the performance, and and you know, notwithstanding the, the sort of you know weird way that that's voted on and who votes on it and that kind of stuff. But I mean. I listening to, you know, and you've spoken to, to many actors as well, but listening to people in the business, that's not their main reason for doing it. It's it's sort of a nice surprise at the end of the day. No, but I think the studios can engineer it that way. Like I think I think the studios well, yeah. I mean, they, have a they, sense. I mean, they put the market. Well, Kevin Smith did that big talk about how, you know, you can you can put, you know, 5 million dollars into a movie and then put 15 million dollars into the marketing. You know, like mm-hmm. that whole Weinstein thing, like where they where they they tried to run with with mall rats and and some of his other you know horrible experiences that he's gone through. Where, and that's that's the thing is like you know I think a lot obviously the the main reason why these studios get behind and do this huge marketing thing is because they want bums and seats, right? Mm-hmm. You know that's what that's what pays the bill, right? And it doesn't matter if it's a good movie or not; they just want to get that box office you know bang, right? Um. You know, and, and, you know, and, and I argue, always argue with you guys about when you say vote with your dollars is like, there are too many people out there with like Bright Star today came out with a, with a, a, a Mr. Rogers-esque video saying people are dumb. I mean, that's, you know, like they just, the sheeple will pay anything to go see a movie because it's got a, a name on it. I mean, like, the th- and, and coming back to the, the Dumbledore thing, like the, or the, I can't even remember his name, Newt's Commander, right? Like, like. Who the heck is that, right? Like, as as a as a dumb consumer myself, I know who the the main names are. I don't know who these edge cases are. I, you know, I didn't. I, I can't even pronounce Mule Mule Muir or whatever the name of the hammer is, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Like, like, you know what I mean? Saying like, like, if you told me that the hammer was going to be a star of a movie, even even on Spotcast, I would look at you and my or my brother. Like, I mean, I Minecraft the movie, really? You know, I have a hard time with Sonic, and I'm a huge Sonic fan. Yeah. But yeah, something definitely needs to be done at DC for sure. I mean, obviously, well, I don't know. I mean, like, like that's the, they don't seem to be, uh, they don't seem to be having the great, great success that Marvel's obviously had, right? And like you said, where's the just roll the dump truck up to Feige's house until he says, okay, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, is it a you know? It really comes down to what they want. Like, what what are they trying to do? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and if they decide what they want is, you know, a billion dollars a picture, which is more or less what Marvel ends up with, in some cases twice that, then clearly the formula needs to change. And there's certainly a lot of untapped potential. The other question is, are they happy with, you know, $400 million pictures that win awards or that, you know, are, you know, enthusiastically acclaimed? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's comes down to why I know there's a friend of mine on this podcast who did a talk recently about why, and and I always start with I always say start with why too is like like that that is the key thing. I mean like um, obviously, and I've I've maintained this before that Oscars sell tickets right, and Oscars mm-hmm. get actors plum roles in future and just a nomination gets actors not a plum role in in future movies right. It's up to them to blow their career or not or have their agent blow it for them but the um the you know um i I don't think when somebody signs on to do a movie or reads a script or reads a book and options the book you know whether it's comic book or or novel or whatever um i don't think they go into thinking this is the oscar movie one or or this is you know like or or go into it thinking this is going to make a billion dollars maybe there's part of that motivation i think the art the the whole craft of creation and artistic expression is more the reason why reason why these people are in the business you know it just happens to be they're they're good at their their skill they're skilled at their craft or whatever but i don't think they're they're not there to make money if they were there to make money they'd be selling real estate you know like that's because that's where you go to make money, right? Apologies to all my friends who sell real estate, but <laughs> or insurance, right? Yeah, you know those. That's where you, if you want to make money, that's what you go and do, right? I mean, you know. I mean, what do you want to see from DC? What do you want to see different? I think I would like to see them take a proper crack at the um, the MCU style cohesive universe, cohesive you know, plot lines, uh, but with individualized movies. And I think that not rushing it the way that they did leading into justice league. Um, and I mean, they probably could go a long way. just literally looking at what it phase one look like. Cool. Let's do our equivalent movies of that or a Batman, a Superman, wonder woman, uh, Aquaman and flash and stuff. And then you can pull people in. Maybe it's too late to do that. Cause it's, uh, or, or maybe too soon because people still have the other movies uh, in mind. But I, I think, you know, it's cool that they've got the, um, you know, mythology type stuff. Of like, here's a Joker movie. Here's a completely unrelated Joker movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people enjoy that sort of stuff. Um, you know, a new Hercules movie comes out or a new uh, Clash of the Titans movie comes out. Nobody necessarily expects those to to match up into some cohesive universe but 
Marvel sort of set the the stage for that, and it turned into a way to not just make a lot of money, but to make a lot, lot of money, which if I was sitting on the board at DC, I'd be like, we're making money hand over fist, but we could have more hands and more fists of money <laughs> we're missing out. I'd be like, for heaven's sake, who the, who the heck was, was Tony Stark and Iron Man? Uh, nobody. We had freaking Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, and we so highly recognizable characters. It, you know, Marvel took the the weirdo characters off the trash heap and turn them into stars. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I, I, again, I, I knew this was one that would get us, get us thinking and talking about it. Cause it's, um, I think everybody sees the opportunity. I think everybody sees the IP. I think it's now it's, it's good that they're looking at this holistically. It's good that they're having these conversations, but I, the direction they go, I, I find fascinating. Well, speaking of DC, and Fantastic Beasts. See, I'm going to tie it all together to this. I, I really planned this one out. Uh, so some weird slash bad news came out this week that uh, our uh, star of The Flash and star of, one of the stars of Fantastic Beasts, Ezra Miller, was arrested in Hawaii for allegedly hurling a chair uh, in a private residence uh, at a party and hitting a person in the face and uh injuring a 26 year old woman uh this is the second time that he's been arrested in hawaii in uh, a number of weeks he was arrested previously uh i believe it was um for let's see arrested for uh disorderly conduct and harassment so this one's become a bit of a messy situation for the folks at Warner Brothers because he's starring in two of their properties and the Flash movie is, you know, ostensibly done. That's the one that's coming with uh, Michael Keaton and, you know, the sort of time, you know, timey-wimey multiverse kind of thing going on in there. And this is not what you want from your top line star for those pictures so uh, it sounds like um it says in here that you know he's had um some known issues uh there have been allegations in here that uh that uh, he maybe have had um substances in his body at the time does not make it clear it uh it's really it's just it's kind of terrible timing mixed with just terrible behavior. So I hope that he's okay. And I hope that this is not going to get any worse, but these are not things you want from somebody who's starring in two of your flagship pieces. If you're Warner discovery. Yeah. I feel like he needs some real serious help because this seems beyond, um, beyond like a temper tantrum celebrity thing. This, feels again not somebody qualified to make this sort of diagnosis but this feels like he's got some real demons to deal with yeah yeah i mean it's again it's 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 sad we're talking about a young man he's he's 29 uh, who still has you know he's obviously he's put on some good performances and he's you know been quite enjoyable i've seen him in a, a number of things and really i thought he was fantastic in uh, perks of being a wallflower which was was a great adaptation of a book and um 
I hope he's okay, but he can't keep having these issues because eventually it's going to really impact his career. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, timing wise, not good for not good for Warner Brothers at all. Mm. Uh, next up, I have been keeping my eye on this story to see how this was going to play out. So we've talked about how the Orville is coming back. The Orville is coming back with a season three, which has been rebranded as New Horizons. We knew it was being done on Hulu as opposed to on Fox, where the first two seasons aired on broadcast television. The question that was sort of sticking out there for me was, are they going to do day and date same time across North America? Or are we going to get the uh, now infamous Hulu delay here in Canada? So we know that things like How I Met Your Father and uh, Hit Monkey and some of the other pieces of content that are prepared for Hulu have been showing up here in Canada two months-ish after they're airing on Hulu or usually close to the end of the run. And given that, you know, we, we've covered, we've done recaps, we've talked extensively about the Orville first two seasons. You can go back to the beginning of our podcast and listen to those. What was going to happen for season three? Well, we finally got some definitive news this week. They did announce that it is coming on Hulu in the U.S. and Disney Plus through Star in Canada and the United States on the same day, June 2nd. So they have not announced it for any other markets yet. So if you're listening outside of North America, you may have to uh, wait a little longer to find out. But we do know that theoretically, the three of us could all watch it on the same day using the same uh, services. Uh, Although the question becomes now, Jaime, do you have a Hulu subscription right now? (laughs) I do, um, because I got the... Uh, 12 months for a dollar each deal during Black Friday around thanks, uh, American Thanksgiving. That's a nice deal. Yeah, as I said, hmm, well, the Orville's coming out later than March uh, that was originally planned, uh, or more recently planned than June. I'm like, oh, that's still okay. They'll, they'll definitely finish the episodes prior to the end of the, the 12 months, even if it slid like another month or two. They, I think it would still squeak in. Nice. Well, as much as I think Tim and I have both had some issues with the first two seasons of Orville, it would have been very disappointing. And, and we certainly have run into this, you know, back and forth across the three of us where, you know, we haven't had our schedules line up where we can all watch things at the same time. Obviously, Tim and I have gone to a few more movies in the theater over the past probably six months. Uh, Jaime, you still, as far as I know, haven't had a chance to go back to the cinema a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And I was, yeah, I was just kind of keeping an eye on this one. And I now my watch turns to Futurama, which is being rebooted, because that's the other one that uh, if it's not day and date, same release, I'm going to be very disappointed because... I'm, you know, Hitmonkey, I was curious about. How I Met Your Father, I was curious about. But if I never see those two, life will go on. And I will want to watch Futurama reboot. And I want to watch the Orville just because I'm curious to see after it's been like years since the previous season. I'm curious to see if this is at all worth the wait and, uh, and whether the shift to Hulu will change anything dramatically for this, or if it will continue to be a weak sauce reboot of TNG. And yeah, I said, it's a weak sauce reboot of TNG. (laughs) I think I described it as, as macaroni 
uh, and mac and cheese at some point. You know, it's not gonna not gonna win awards, but it uh, it soothes, right? It soothes the soul. So, <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think one thing that is useful for the Orville is that it's not it's not being treated as a marquee product. It's not no. Discovery trying to sell Paramount Plus, right? It's, yep. it's not uh, you know the more recent Halo of like this has to sell beyond the Star Trek fans kind of thing so hopefully it means that it uh, it can just do what it does and it doesn't um you know doesn't end up getting canceled because oh man we we dumped in twice as much money and it, it only gave us 50 percent more profit instead of the double profit right? so yeah yeah speaking of profit <laughs> as a nice little segue <laughs> netflix not having a good time we teased this on uh, more than just code uh yesterday and uh the details of what's going on here are kind of interesting. So Netflix's stock plummeted uh, 37%. Uh, it's a little better, I think, now. It's like 35%, only 35% down. Um, but that is substantial. And it, it comes as uh, they, for the first time in like a decade, had a net loss in users. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, but the short of it is they lost... 200,000 subscribers over the quarter. Um, granted, there is a little bit of an asterisk there of like, well, they booted out um, like something like six to 700,000 Russian users. So um, they probably would have been up for the quarter. But they're also saying that like, yeah, mm, we kind of anticipate losing an additional 2 million users. So this is the ultimate Rorschach test for everybody's opinions around uh, password sharing and, and Netflix cracking down on that. The uh, go woke, go broke idea that some people have floated on the internet. They're like, oh, the reason they're not doing well is because Netflix has <laughs> too woke content, <laughs> apparently. Um, and or things like, oh, they're, they're too data driven. They cancel my favorite show, even though it was just getting good. Um, uh, as part of this, Netflix is talking about, well, maybe, maybe we will do an ad supported tier kind of like, uh, you know, longtime listeners of this show. We know I am on the, the cheapskate plan for Paramount Plus where <laughs> <laughs> it's like five, five ninety nine. I want to say, and I get ads. So, you know, an hour long show of content takes like an hour, 15 hour, 20 as I, you know, check my email or <laughs> Instagram or something during the, 90 second to uh, to two minute long commercial breaks. But boy, yeah, I saw I saw the these couple different stories this week about Netflix. This one, Jaime, and, and they were also talking about how it's going to. You know, they're really looking at that crackdown on password sharing, right? Yeah, that, that they really intend. They think that there's up to a hundred million people that are piggybacking off of other people's accounts, and that they. Statistics lower down. 22, 222 million people pay for Netflix and 100 million don't. Yeah. So I guess that's the question is what's going to, how are they going to do that? How are they going to crack that? How are they going to crack down? How are they going to know? What are they going to do? We talked about that obviously in a previous episode too, but the fact that, you know, this is now really hurting their bottom line and it's hurting their market status and, uh, their stock price and everything else. I, I wonder, I wonder what they're going to do to try and try and recoup that, how, how they're going to try and come at it because that's a lot, you know, like 
that, it, and if they start coming after people and saying, well, we want, we want that, is it going to, is it going to get people to subscribe properly or is it going to get people to say, you know what? I really don't need Netflix after all. Do they, do they have, are they risking their cachet at, you know, by coming after people? I mean, we talked about how in our opinion, Disney plus has sort of superseded them as the, the sort of must have streaming service. Once they get past Ozark, I know Tim doesn't have a lot to live for. So, yeah, on Netflix, right? You know, like that's we all have series that you know we're curious about, and there's always good content coming up there. But like, there's only a handful of things that they put out there that are like, oh, I really have to watch that. Yeah, yeah. It's not they're not as connected to the zeitgeist as they were a few years back, and if they combine the competition with the other services with, you know, this crackdown with the soaring costs with commercials, is there a risk that they just eat their, you know, they eat their own tail and eventually they're gone. Mm -hmm. And then Apple buys them and absorbs them. Sorry, Henry. I think it's been a whole series of weird missteps where they almost, um, they almost started to enjoy the smell of their own farts, as people sometimes say. <laughs> of like, you know, and we've we've said on this this show of like, oh, it, I just assume you have Netflix the same way I assume you have electricity, right? It's just so pervasive, and they had a huge, uh, you know, huge lead that has diminished as other good stuff, high value stuff, has come out from. You know, Disney Plus is probably the most you know high value one in terms of properties that people are going to say that's a must watch show the mandalorian is a much watch show the marvel stuff is is much watch stuff and this whole backlog of disney um content for the kiddos and at what 7.99 or 8.99 whatever it is like way cheaper than netflix it, it feels like you know this whole combination of things of like canceling shows uh a little too early uh, i think a little too data driven like for example we talked about on this show man why the heck did they they cancel the Dark Crystal? You might as well have made at least two seasons because it would cost a boatload of money just to make the dang puppets and the sets. You might as well at least make another season for people who enjoy it, right? Even if it isn't a huge winner, uh, they canceled it right as it wins uh, awards. And it, I think, starts causing this loop of people saying, mm, should I watch this new series? I don't know, man, because if it's not a one-and-done season, I don't want it to end on a cliffhanger. I'll wait to see, you know, season two and season three get approved because they started getting a little too quick to, to cancel things. And on top of that, you throw in, Oh, we're going to crack down on password sharing and charge more money. Great. So what's the must have content that we need to see? Uh, great British bake off season five, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what was your, what was your marquee thing? Where's your Star Trek discovery? Where is your, you know, your, uh, Warner Brothers movies. Where is just just even your even your Orville? Where's your Orville? You know, where's your your marquee product that you're going to say? Here's a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go down. It, it, it felt like again coming to the smelling and enjoying the smell of their own farts. It kind of felt like they thought that their lead was unassailable and 
clearly there's not. There is definitely competition out there. Solid competition. Well, and as you say, Jaime, you know, you look forward to the rest of this year. Okay, so Disney Plus has got, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, then another season of The Bad Batch. We're going to have Ms. Marvel, you know, probably another season of The Mandalorian, all, like all this content that we're excited about and we're talking about. Now, obviously, we're talking about genre stuff, but we're talking about genre stuff that's kind of crossed over to the mainstream. Then you look at even Amazon Prime, which I think we could safely say is, it, you know, probably third, maybe fourth on the tier of streaming services but they've got lord of the rings coming this fall on which they've spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars there's just some buzz around that they've got you know some some pretty good stuff there yeah i mean stranger things i guess is the the only thing netflix has got that's sort of you know a level stuff but it, again, it's been a long hiatus. And the same way we just talked about Orville, it's been a long hiatus between the last couple seasons. You know, you, you kind of have to dig in a little bit and, you know, oh, geez, I even remember what really happened. And, you know, and they're going to do the thing that they do, which, you know, we've kind of criticized now in, in the streaming world. They're going to put it all out in one day. So, again, if you are inclined, you could watch the whole thing in two days and drop the service again or, or get a 30 day package and watch it for a month and then drop it again. You don't have to have, you know, there's, there's a deep flaw in that system. You know, I mean, you, you always joke about it, but you're on the hook, right? You know, if, if Star Trek puts out a new series that piggybacks off the last series, you're on the hook for months and months and months. If Netflix keeps dropping things, you know, 10 or 15 episodes at a time, cool. I'll do, you know, collect five or things, six things I want get it for a month and then drop it and save myself a ton of money over the course of the year. Like I honestly am thinking that's a pretty wise strategy going forward, especially if they're going to be, you know, chasing me because I watch it in multiple places and they're going to be accusing me of, of having people piggybacking in my, you know, Oh, it says here you've been watching from Ottawa. Like, yeah, I work in Ottawa sometimes like go away. Yeah. I, I think even if they had a different model of, um, like if we pretended that, that Paramount Plus didn't have the tease it out week after week model, and if we said, let's make it more Netflixy, but let's do it the way that somebody realistically would do. If we said, okay, in one month, all the or on one day, and, and we're really talking for one subscription month, Star Trek Discovery drops in January. February they drop Picard. March they drop Prodigy. April, they drop lower decks. May, they drop New World. Did I reach all the, the rest of the Star Trek shows that we know about? That's five months of like, if you want to, if you want to see this and you're going to binge it all in one day, one weekend, you're going to have to stick with us for, for five months. Here with the way yeah. Netflix does it, it's like, dude, you don't have enough big hits to keep me necessarily doing this month after month, right? Uh, you, you can do as you just described, like just, you know, binge all of uh, Umbrella Academy when it comes out in June, uh, or maybe I yeah. wait. Maybe I wait till till July. Binge that and Stranger Things, and then I'm gone for for, for what? What's the next thing? It, even though it's very narrow for what Paramount Plus has done for the Star Trek community and why they want to bring in things like Halo and etc. Like they at least have like a crap ton of shows that like if you're if you're in for Star Trek, by golly, they're giving you Star Trek. Same thing with Disney and the the Marvel and. Uh, and uh and uh star wars stuff yep yep 
Well, and as you say, you know, we follow it because we enjoy the Marvel Star Wars, but there is the Disney of it. There is the Pixar of it. There is the Hulu of it. There is, you know, like they're offering a pretty multifaceted service to, to their users now. It, again, it for the value for the dollar, especially because right now I believe I'm paying about half as much for my Disney Plus subscription as I am for my Netflix subscription. Now, I'm not naive. Of course, that's going to go up. Of course it is, because that's what they do. That's how drug dealers work. Mm -hmm. They get you hooked on the stuff, and then they ask for more. But at the same time, it it seems... Yeah, like wild that they're they're meeting all of these expectations, giving you all this content and and kind of hitting so often at a half of the cost. Mm. Like honestly, the only thing that makes it worthwhile is being able to share your passwords. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, my household does include people in Montreal and Topeka, Kansas. Nothing wrong yeah, with that. exactly. Uh, well, speaking of Netflix, uh, I, I had to add this one in here. I saw that the bad news came across today that the adaptation of Jeff Smith's Bone has apparently died at Netflix. Um, Bleeding Cool has an article. It's been on a couple of different places, but apparently there's been a bit of a turnover over at the uh, in-house animation work that's happening at Netflix, and uh, Bone is one of the casualties there. They do list other ones in here as well, but uh, that's obviously the one I was most interested in. It's one of the finest uh, comic books turned graphic novels I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed over the years. Beautiful, beautiful uh, work by Jeff Smith, uh, who, who again, I've, I've had a chance to, to speak with a few times. And and um, it's so funny that something, you know, so perfectly made to be adapted into a, a, a non-graphic novel medium, uh, whether that's a movie or a TV show or whatever, has had all these issues over the years. Uh, you know, a beloved graphic novel that, uh, you know, was picked up by Scholastic and, uh, you know, was the headline, the flagship of their graphics uh, line when they started moving into producing that. They did the colorized versions. And now, I mean, so many kids under the age of 14 and, you know, again, adults all over the place have read this story. It's sold, you know, tens of millions of copies. It just seems like a no-brainer to add to any streaming service that you would bring in that baked-in audience. But apparently, once again, it's it's out the door. So I hope that this finds legs somewhere else. I hope that it still is, is potentially going to get an adaptation because it is such a wonderful story and the characters are so fun. But uh, yeah, what a what a pain that this thing just, just cannot seem to get legs outside of its original medium. Now, that being said... I would advocate read it. It's meant to be read. It was created as a story like that. That's what it's supposed to be. So, you know, maybe maybe that's for the best too. Stupid, stupid rat creatures. That exactly. Stupid, stupid <laughs> Netflix creatures. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my my tweet was uh, I saw something uh, came out the I think yesterday it was the anniversary of the introduction of a of a famous um, character in uh, action comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was number one, um, it and it's not who you think it is. It's the little guy in the corner holding his head, running away from the car as Superman is lifting it up over his head. And and this, uh, the the link here is to the thread because 
The same character or a character drawn like that also was in the, one of the first Super Supergirl comic books, and then appeared in in more realistic rend, renditions later on. You know, Superman ones. He's in the Fantastic Four. He's on the cover of Superman twenty nine twenty ninety nine. You know, uh, Superboy one, another Superman one, and even where was it? Oh, I've lost the thread. Show more replies. So you have to follow this thread to sort of see along there. And actually, there's a, even the, the storyline about how he tried to crash his car into to Lois. And um, there's there's uh, one with Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and one of the one of the ducks. I don't know which one. One wears blue. Is 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 doing holding the same pose. So I don't know if this character actually has a name, John. Do you know? I, I don't. It's possible that they've made him some sort of canonical character, but uh, I I don't recall ever it says seeing here, that. Rick Randowski. Is is the name of the character? Oh, so, all right. Yeah. But he's been in. He's he, he appears in a ton tons of uh, comic adaptations. You know, yeah. Over the years, Buffy comics. <laughs> to uh, to yeah, it's, avoid the fact check, just to interject here. So Dewey would be the blue of the the triplets. So it's Huey in red, Dewey in blue, and Louie in um, man. I want to say green, but. My memory thinks of it almost as like a lime yellow green, just because of the the quality of color back then. But it, it is uh, <laughs> it is green for Louis. Yep. All right. Last headline news came today. This one made me very sad. Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, the sequel to the much loved Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, has been delayed. It was originally supposed to be out this fall and has now been bumped all the way to June of 2023. So we're not going to see this picture for another 12, well, 13, 13 and a half months. Um, which is a drag because I was that was one of my most anticipated. That was what I listed in the Spockies as my most anticipated movie of the year. I, I absolutely adore that first movie and was really excited about seeing this one this year. So, unfortunately, we will have to wait. Is that because Apple used all the green ink to make their new iPhones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that's what that did. Must be. Must. Be. Man, that's probably got to be a credit to the. Um, you know what the filmmakers did in the previous one is you got to figure that Sony is you know, champing at the bit to make more money, especially after what I assume to be disappointing returns from Morbius. So, uh, but then say, they're also they just cashed a very big check for Spider Man uh, No Way Home, so I think yeah. that's going to hold them for the rest of the year. Yeah, I guess they said, Hey, man, like <laughs> just let us do it right, and, and you know, the money will come as long as we make it good. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, we're at that part of the show there where we start talking about things Star Trekish, and this week we're doing Star Trek Picard Season Two, Episode Eight, Mercy, and I'll be doing the recap. So we'll dig in. So we start with a kid running. So I got to mention too, continuity is is kind of an important thing when you're watching TV shows. And and I started watching uh, Picard around lunchtime, and then I had to go to a bunch of meetings and stuff like that. So I totally forgot about the opening scene of this this show. So I ended up watching the second half of the show. Probably I probably went like a third of the way through, and so I had forgotten this little little piece here that that kind of foreshadows something that happens later on in the in the thing. And I kind of wonder. 
if by the time it was revealed what the connection was, if Jonathan had already known that was the connection, because he probably sat down and watched it all in one sitting. So that's my first question to John. Did you, did you watch, did you, did you make the connection from the very get go or? Once they started pulling at the thread of, you know, aliens, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Aliens and alien encounters and this guy, it, it made sense, but no, not, not immediately. I I didn't just like leap upon it, but yeah, once they, once they started pulling on that thread and and starting to lead us down that path, it, it, yeah, it kind of clicked for me, but no, it it was, it was good. It was, it was uh, better than, better than usual setup as far as a cold open with uh, what the, how does this all come back together? I thought they did it well. So we start this, this show with a, a young kid, a young lad running through the, the sort of in a panic, running through a forest at night with a with a flashlight with a big D batteries in it, kind of thing. And he trips and he falls, and and uh, he sees a some Vulcan type, you know, aliens descending upon him, and that's kind of how the the show starts. And then, if you remember from last week's episode. The last scene was an uh, agent Wells comes and tricks Guinan and, and Picard into revealing a little bit more than they should, and turns out he's going to arrest them and take them away. So we start with Picard and Guinan in the in an uh, uh, FBI interrogation room, um, kind of dingy, you know, basementy kind of place. And it turns out to be like sort of an off grid or a, or a, a field office, as they like to call them. And the agent is accusing them of being aliens. And uh, he's like, tell me about your plans to sabotage the Europa mission. And and they're like, what are you talking about? And Guinan kind of turns the tables on him and starts to do her sort of bartender-esque speak to him, talking about, she says, like, come on, this this is super off the books. This isn't like normal stuff. I mean, like... There's obviously broken equipment here, and and you know this the camera, the CCTV camera wasn't even plugged in, you know. So you know this is in. What are you doing here? And he kind of goes, "Yeah, you, you're right. You, this is off the books. Nobody knows you're here, and people disappear under these kind of circumstances." So you know, kind of like implying a threat without saying it. And then we flash over to Seven and Rafi, who, if you remember from last week, are trying to find the location of Agnes, and so they're. They're back at the at the bar, um, and so they they basically send a message on the communicator over to Rios about you know well she's been here and and uh, he's all concerned about Agnes's you know basically it's Agnes's body that's been taken over by the Queen the Borg Queen and he's like, I'm coming I'm coming and and they're like no no stay on the Ser- La Serenia um, you know we, we, you need to go through and we get some we have some new words in our vocabulary here and I've I've I've, I've made up one of my own here but. Uh, Rafi sort of says, look through the systems and look for some borgification. Um, what she actually says is make sure she didn't borgify anything. So borgify is now a, a I guess that's a, is that a verb or an adjective? Yes, to, to, to borgify a verb, yes. To borgify, yes. So, so borgification would be the, the result of the action of having borgified something. So uh, Rafi turns to... to um, to uh, seven and sort of says, you know, I need you to, you, you need to embrace your Borgness, you know, you need to, you need to Borg up here, lady, she says. And, and, uh, seven gets a little annoyed with her and says, I don't have Borg implants, you know, like, I, I can't do that. Like, like, hello. It was a little offensive. It was like a weird, hurtful stereotype. Like, she'd turn to Rafi and be like, so we need somebody with, you know, good rhythm. You, 
you have good rhythm, right, Rafi? Like, what? What are you saying right now? You can take back those words. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, so Seven's kind of taken aback by the sort of the sort of the the looking down your nose at the board person, and, and that carries on through the show. But uh, the you know she says, well, no, no. I mean, in an analog sense, what would you do if you were the queen? What would you be looking for, kind of thing? And you know, build on that. So she's Seven just through you. It goes over and talks to the bartender and says, yeah, let me ask you about the window. And you know, it was my sister that broke the window. We're trying to find her. We don't know where she's gone. And Finally, you know, she gets the bartender to empathize with her, and um, he says, oh, she left with a guy with a red beard. They went that way around the corner kind of thing, and so the, the two of them head off in that direction. And we come back to the interrogation room, and um, her card says to Agent Wells, um, we'd like nothing better than to see the rocket launch. We're not here to, to block it at all, right? And uh, he... He's, he's come back into the room, actually. He, he left after the first interrogation, and he's got his little iPad with him, and he shows them CCT footage of the fact that, you know, they, they used his face, and they scanned their databases or whatever, and I guess their facial recognition, and they found that he, in fact, plus six people had, you know, trespassed into the big, you know, gala for the Europa Gala, and shows, you know, pictures of, of them individually, and then I'm all, all of them standing at the bar when they're all talking to each other. So it's like not like you haven't been seen. And um, Guinan again starts to turn the tables on the guy. She says, you're, you're not the terrorist breaker. You're not the, the, the you know, the, the lead investigator. You know, I'm, I'm a bartender. I can tell, you know, when you're spinning a yarn here. And, and yeah, I know um, a schlub when I see one. Yeah, pretty much. And, and she leans into him and she says, you know, what makes you the man for this job, Agent Wells, sort of thing, she says. And, you know, you look like you don't sleep, and you come in all wrinkly, and you have your big pot of coffee or your big cup of coffee. So this is personal for you. There's something going on here. And so he finally, he, he you know, doesn't buy into that, but he kind of goes, so let, tell me about that bruise on your hand. It clearly looks like you had an IV recently to Picard. And he says, I was, I was dehydrated. After all, I'm only human, you know, kind of thing, like... And trying to deflect him away from being thinking he's an alien. By the way, Guinan never <laughs> denies that she's not an alien. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets up and he leaves, right? And and uh, Picard just sort of says, you know, if he calls the authorities, they'll scrap the entire mission, and we'll have we'll have broken the future ourselves without without even trying, right? And then we go back over to Sung's lovely little you know house with the square pool and all that kind of stuff and the hot tub. And Corey is looking through Corey is looking through his uh, his videos and trying to figure out you know what's going on and you know re- replays the one where he says he'll be the last and so of course she goes and gets the the most you know universal tech that we all use these days and that's the Hololens by Microsoft and puts it on her head and as soon as she does you know she sort of says you know what are you hiding um, and as soon as she does you know an augmented reality version of Q shows up in in the feed and. Uh, he's tells her that he's hacked into Soon's system and, you know, he's going to, he's talking to her about, uh, what's going on. And, uh, he tells Corey that he knows how to fix her. He knows how to fix the problem with her. And, he, you know, he's rattling these tubes and she's like, isn't that a human genome over there? And he says, yeah. So he gets the Amazon prime uh, robot, you know, uh, drone delivery to deliver, um, a serum to her. Uh, he says, I got this serum. I've got this key if you're brave enough to use it. And, so she pulls it, she opens up the little Amazon box and it says, you know, the little tag on it says, drink me. 
Actually, doesn't say drink me. It says freedom, but it might as well say drink me. <laughs> it's going to say, a, and through the looking glass, Alice went. Exactly, kind of thing, right? Sort <laughs> of reveal, reveal your future, right? Um, meanwhile, Rafi and, and Seven have, are following up on the lead uh, for, for Agnes, and they come across the guy, the big guy with the red beard that, that uh, has now been dispatched. He's, you know, lying dead in, in, in behind a dumpster, and... Uh, and uh, you know, Rafi says to Seven, what would you be doing? He says, I don't know. I'd be looking for a connection. You need to make some sort of, we need to tap into the network or figure out what's going on. And, and obviously this guy wasn't doing it for her. So, you know, she, she's done with him kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, Rafi's like, yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. And she's, could you be a little less happy that I'm defective? You know, and then she's, she says, you manipulate people. You get them to do what you want them to do. You're only happy if they're doing what you want. Right. Kind of thing. So they, they find, um, Seven finds on the ground that, that uh, there's a smashed cell phone, and she says, this must be the guy's cell phone, and looks at it and realizes the battery's been taken. And she, what, what do they put in batteries here in this, this century? And it turns out, of course, lithium-ion, right? And um, uh, Seven kind of like gets a little freaked out, and she says, that's what she's using to make you know, nanoprobes. I mean, like I remember the feeling of getting assimilated and... That's all I could taste was this stuff. And, and uh, so they're looking for the metals, like the stabilizing metals in lithium ion and other things will will help the, you know, whoever they, they assimilate to adjust to the, the Borg nanoprobes. Right? So as they're, they're traveling along, they, they, we see Girardi. She's, you know, happily uh, got a smorgasbord of cars there. She's been needing the batteries to get all the metals out of them. And she sees them. She runs over and attacks them. And um, she knocks seven over pretty hard. And then she force chokes Rafi for about a good minute or so until Agnes inside of the Queen's head tells her to stop. And she drops uh, uh, Rafi and then and you see, you know, the, the uh, or Queen strut as she walks away towards the camera kind of thing. Um, and we go back to Picard and Guinan and, uh, you know, the, the Agent Wells is back in. He says, diligence, I did some did some checking and... You know, sure enough, you know, you weren't in a hospital. You couldn't have gone to a hospital. You you must have gone to a clinic. And I was thinking, what other cl- what's the connection with the clinic? And he pulls up a picture. He says, of Rios. He says, this is another person. You know, your buddy from the the, the gala was arrested by ICE a few few weeks ago or yesterday or whatever. I've lost, I've lost track of time. But, you know, he was arrested at, at the ICE by an ICE raid. And... Uh, and he was at a clinic, and and uh, and he made this really weird statement. And I'm I'm going to paraphrase the statement. I didn't write it for word for word. And he's, and it was that sort of uh, scene where um, he was in the in the detention cell with all the other immigrants um, about to be ex. Um, you call it escorted out of the country. What do you what do you deported? What you deported. Thank you. Um, and. Uh, he says, uh, I'm stuck in a primitive past, trying to correct the timeline with a ragtag crew, with including one cybernetic queen who wants to wipe out all of humanity, and with her co- her old cohort, the grumpy old admiral, who's probably mostly a robot now. I think he's flesh and blood robot, he says. But so he, And, you know, so Picard's like, oh, God, he kind of spilled the beans there, right? And, and he says, you must have used barbaric, you know, inter- interrogation tactics to get that out of him and... And uh, he goes, well, as a matter of fact, I went back to the clinic where he was arrested, and I searched, and I found this, and he pulls out the communicator that, that uh, Rios left behind. Um, he says, well, you know, my, my boys will take this apart, and they'll figure out this isn't from our planet. It's from, you know, some other, this tech is from some other world kind of thing. So he has Guinan escorted out to another interrogation room. 
And we go back to the La Sirena. Sirena. La Sirena. I'm going to say it again. We'll go back to the La Sirena. I can't say it now. <laughs> it's not. I mean, jump in. La Sirena. It's not an easy one to say if you're not, you know, prepared to say it, uh, you know, vocally. <laughs> yeah, I can. Like, yeah, anyway. It goes back to La Sirena. You sit. La Sirena. <laughs> Sirena? Whatever. He goes back to the spaceship and where the ghost is hanging out. <laughs> and and so we see spaceman Sonic of planet Mars pew pewing all the aliens from the from the deck of the the ship and meanwhile Rios is doing a diagnostic uh, he's got the ship in diagnostic mode so it's okay that the kid is pushing all the buttons kind of thing and he says I'm looking for Borg subroutines and then he realizes that they have no idea what he's talking about and uh, so he says you hungry and of course you know what what's the first thing to do on Star Trek when you have some alien race you feed them right. I mean, even Princess Leia fed uh, the um, the, Ew- the Ewok when he first met uh, when he first met Wicket the Ewok. Um, so uh, so he goes over to uh, the replicators and and uh, he says to Ricardo, "What do you want?" He goes, "I want four cakes." And uh, so he, yeah, he grabs the cakes and he goes off and starts eating them. And meanwhile, Rios and and uh, Teresa have a little heart to heart chat in Spanish, and and um, as if the kid doesn't speak Spanish. And then um, she asks him to imagine what it's like. Imagine that they're married, and imagine that it's been ten years, and they're, they're drifting apart, and it's no longer working. It's more like a business than a than a relationship. And and uh, you know, you're off to. I'm off to have a friend, uh, uh, an affair with a friend. And so, so tell me something that you would tell me in te- after ten years in an alternate life that uh, that I never knew. And he says. Um, before you fly away, and because you, because I'm not going to see you again after this big adventure is over, right? And he says, "Well, when I first fell for you," and then of course the kid says, "Mommy," <laughs> you know, talk blocking kid uh, says, uh, "My tummy hurts," and, and she gets up and she starts to walk towards the kid, and then she suddenly turns around and, kiss, and she kisses Rios. Da, da, da. Yeah, they leaned really far into the like. I was joking about the the nasty and the pasty stuff. They yeah, they got right up to the edge on this one. Hmm. It doesn't mean you're, you're gonna. You're not gonna have. It doesn't mean you're not gonna have closure. Huh? You got two more episodes to go. Um. So there you go. So we're back. Uh, back in the um in the detention cell, and and uh, the guy's got Picard by himself, and he says, you know, what were your intentions there on Europa? You know, says I'm not naive. I you know I know when I'm outbrained. You're, you're much more sophisticated than I am, and you've learned the language, and you're you've got the upper hand here, and. Um, but you're not going to survive the, you know, more advanced interrogations when my buddies get here. You know, we've, we've filled in paperwork and, you know, it's, it's now a real thing. And, you know, you'll be directed and redacted and reported and rumored as you disappear. You'll be like a pig in a jar when they get, when they're here and going over you, right? Sort of thing. And in the other room, we see Guinan and uh, an FBI uh, agent walks in. And of course, it's, uh, you know, it's Q wearing a FBI rec- jacket, and he looks at her and goes, You! You summoned me! Which is the same thing he says the very first time he sees Guinan in, in uh, PNG. Um, and he's like, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this. It's, it's sort of a sacred thing when you're uh, summoning a Q kind of thing. And he says, well, you took your sweet time getting here. And he goes, oh, you're that sanctimonious, whiny shrew known as Guinan. And he says, our paths have yet to cross. And so he's, he's pretty pissed off with her. But he's, you know, reminds her again that the, the summoning is a sacred thing. And then she sort of, she t- again does the Guinan thing. She turns on him. She says, you know, I felt your loss when, when we first connected. You know, you're dying. 
you know, and uh, he says, oh, I hate, that's the one thing I hate about your species, empathy. And then uh, he goes, aren't you immortal? He goes, no, I'm not immortal. You know, I'm, I'm on the threshold of the unknowable. You know, I can't see my future in the timeline kind of thing, in the time stream. And uh, I just seem to be disappearing and, you know. And she says, well, you're using all these people as game pieces. Like, why have you brought Picard to the past? And why did you do this? And he goes, well, I didn't bring him to the past. He did that himself. And says, the trap is not the important part. It's the escape that matters. And as he's walking out the door, you know, as he's finished with his interrogation of, of Guinan, he says, humans, they're all trapped in the past. Meanwhile, we're back at Soong's house. Um, Corey asks, you know, finally Soong is there and Corey asks, what did you do? What, what have you done? And, you know, you don't love me, you love your work kind of thing. And, and I'm just an experiment to you. And, um, and I was never going to leave this house. You keep, you keep stringing me along just like my sisters and names off all the other sisters. And some of them are named after the daughters of Zeus, as she points out, you know, my creator kind of thing. She calls him and, you know, explain your experiment, Dr. Soong. And uh, he says, well, you were um, somatic nuclear transfer in, in a gestated in a proprietary medium, which sounds like a bunch of $10 words, but it isn't really that sophisticated when you think about it. That's essentially a test tube child. Yeah. And you, and you lied, you lied about my mother and, uh, you know, there was no mother and, and, you know, and tell me about the other people, the, the other, the other attempts that you tried. He goes, well, you know, the, the first dozen died within an hour and some of them lasted days and the one just before you lasted four years. and." And she starts yelling at him about, you know, this, this, this fake story he's been telling her about all this stuff and just, it just isn't real. And he starts telling her about, you know, reality and what's real and what's all that kind of stuff. And he kind of looks at her and that sort of, as I was talking about before, when Brent Spiner gets angry, he always sounds the same. He says, you know, you only exist because I willed it. Um, and she says, well, what are you afraid of? What if, what, what happens if I walk out of this door? Like what, what happens now? Right. And so she storms off, and uh, as she's st- leaving, she walks on the grass and takes off her shoes, because I, yeah, I don't know if you remember, but the grass is apparently, like, toxic to her, and so is the sunlight and all that kind of stuff. And and she's uh, she's able to, you know, walk away from him. And as she's turning around, she shows him the, the little vial that uh, Q has sent her uh, with the word freedom on the tag. And she goes off into the sunset. Um, meanwhile, we're back to Rafi, and... Uh, and uh, seven and and um, seven says mercy is not a poor quality, and uh, they realize that it must have been Gerardi acting inside of the body, trying to you know force her way through the queen. Because why why didn't she why didn't she finish the job with with Rafi when she could? And she says, well, what do you think she's looking for? What she, you know what she what's she trying to find? And she, and she says, well, she's trying to find a connection. And so they. Well, let's let's you know get this this uh, cell phone here. Let's see, can we can we jump charge it with jump start it with our with our tricorders, um, and then um, Rafi admits that uh, to seven that she did in fact manipulate. Um, there's a whole like five minute section which kind of got cut out of the, the show, but that she manipulated Elnor to stay with her instead of going off and um, doing his duty with the. Um, I forgot how you say Comquat, uh, the Comquats, whatever. <laughs> the Jum, what do they say? How do they say the name? Kowat Milat. Kowat Milat, yes. To go back and help his his, uh, his mother, I'm going to do air quotes in that. And says, yeah, no, I convinced him to stay here and, and stay with me. And, and he ended up dying in, in my arms. I guess she was like a surrogate son to him. 
uh, he was, um, mm-hmm. since her son rejected her, right? Um, yeah, so search history. Let's look at the search history because nobody ever deletes their search history, Jaime. Like, what is wrong with people? There is no know? incognito mode. <laughs> In, yeah, in, like in you, that you, version you're, done, of you're done doing the search. You don't want to find your port in history. You you go in and delete it. It's like, you know, IT 101. Anyway, so they, they, of course, you know, Gerardi being the, or the board queen not being sophisticated leaves her search history. So they're able, they're able to see where she's going. And, and uh, sure enough, in the next scene, we flash back to Soong's house and uh, Gerardi has showed up at Soong's and has some really interesting things about sort of rephrases the assimilation is futile or resistance is futile thing to him and says I'm not going to waste my time with that because you you probably don't realize this and uh, um so we would have to wait a few minutes to find out what's going to happen next in that scene but uh, we're back to Picard who um. He's being into again the guy saying like why were you at why are you at that that gala why were you there and the lights start to flicker, and uh, Picard can see an image of Guinan sort of trying to telepathically communicate with him. And she basically says, all humans are stuck in the past. And she repeats, stuck in the past, stuck in the past. Which gives um, uh, Picard uh, an insight into Agent Wells. And he looks at him and says, well, why, why are you haunted? Like, what is, what's haunting you? Tell me... You know, um, tell, tell me what was going on. And, and he tells him about the story about, and we see again the, the, the kid with the flashlight again uh, looking for his dog. And, and he stumbles across a couple of Vulcans, you know, with their fancy equipment and stuff like that in the pointy ears. And, of course, he starts running away. And as he's running away, the Vulcan kind of puts his hand on his face and to kill me, he says, he was trying to kill me. And and as as the Vulcan has his hand on his face, he you see them transport away, which is why the shimmering... He's always been this. Agent Wells has been, you know, basically watching for uh, signs of somebody being beamed in or beamed out uh, as he's, you know, joined the FBI to try and, you know, fight the aliens kind of thing, right? And then Picard says, "Well, how how did he touch you? Actually, what? How did he put his hand on on your head?" And the guy reaches over and puts his hand on Picard's forehead and goes, "Well, hang on a second. Was it more like this?" And he puts his hand in the sort of pose of a Vulcan mind meld and holds it up against his face. And he says, "He wasn't." Uh, a monster. He was a Vulcan, and he wasn't trying to uh, to kill you. He's trying to erase your memory, so you wouldn't have to suffer through this like you've been suffering. Because obviously the work wasn't the the, the meld wasn't complete, and um, and he sits on the desk. Of course, now you know what was the rule. What's rule number one about Fight Club? Well, you that would don't be talk don't about talk about Fight, Fight Club. Club. Yeah, exactly. So he sits down on the edge of the desk and he says, "I'm from the 25th century." <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I'm yeah, here to save. Huh? This mission so far has gone really off the rails on the you know do not uh, do, do not mess with the uh, butterfly effect. Everything they're like, yeah. So uh, we beam into places. We like make public spectacles of ourselves. We've uh, we get caught you know, on CCTV. We get arrested by the <laughs> FBI and by ICE. Yeah, and and we confess to at least like a few people at this point. Like, oh man, not yeah. so good on that front. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We we smash, you know, windows and whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I'm from the 25th century. I'm here. I'm here to save Earth and ultimately the entire galaxy. And I need your help, which is pretty much what Picard says to everybody he meets. Um. So Rios, uh, Rios in 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 his diagnosis determines that the Queen has hacked the transporters and you know, contacts. Uh, Raffi to tell to update her on that, and um, 
they have to figure out what to do next. And uh, Guinan is back in the room with Picard, and and she says, you know, uh, there's one thing about humans that, that I, I was sort of found puzzling, and that's you know, you, whenever you have a problem and and you, you you suffer some sort of damage or whatever, and you're broken. You don't leave it alone. You work on it, like you know, keep working on it because you want to evolve. And and in, in you know, Q, he, she's, he, Picard asks how Q was, and she says he seemed kind of crazy, like you know, he just didn't seem like himself, kind of thing, right? Then of course Wells walks in with with a box with all of his stuff in, and he's been fired. I didn't quite make the connection to why he's fired, other than the fact that he tried to report the man who cried alien. He says, you know, they. I guess they had enough of his alien talk, and and uh, they, you know, that that I, I lied and I wanted, I lied and I wanted to prove. Oh, he was talking about the fact he was. You said records have been written, and you know, this, the recordings have been made, and he was, yeah, I lied. You know, I just wanted to be able to, the one, the one guy who could prove the aliens exist, kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, well, Picard says, well, maybe you didn't waste your time after all, right? And uh, Guinan says, you know, time, like, you know, in my species, you know, time is sort of a different thing. Time isn't what we all think it is, right? Some moments are meant to happen, even at great cost, like you losing your job. And she says, you know, maybe you had to be that boy. And then he says, so I could be the man who's letting you go, kind of thing. Um, anyway, so as they're, as they're, they're leaving, um, Guinan says to Picard, you know, I can't wait to meet you. <laughs> in the future and then uh so Girardi is back with with Soong and she's telling him you know that that he's at a fork in the road at this point he can either he can either you know die a drunk or he can live his future alone or he can become the godfather of the future sort of thing you know where his work will be uh will be relished and then she start walking out and he says well well hang on hang on how do how do I make sure the the good one happens you know and she says, um, Rene Picard will make a discovery. And if, he, and if she doesn't make that discovery, it won't make your work obsolete. You know, so we, you know, if we can prevent that, then that would be the first thing. And she says, you got to stop somebody who's in my way. Picard, right? Um, stop Picard from, pre- pre- from preventing the launch or, you know, making, making that happen, right? Sort of thing. Um, and she says, and he says, "I already ran him over with a car. What more do you want from me?" <laughs> Did he say that? I can't remember. No, that's what he should have said. Like, yeah, I yeah, literally yeah. ran the guy over with a car. What? what well, he was trying like? to run her over. He wasn't trying to run him over. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just true. He doesn't know. Who Picard, I was going to say he doesn't know who Picard is, but he does know who Picard is. But uh, yeah, so they, soon, they've met, and he tried to run over Renee, right? And yeah, he ended yeah. up running over Jean Luc instead. Yeah. So soon gets uh, calls up NASA because he's now a major investor and and gets some mercenaries sent over and says if you can get me in front of Picard uh, I can get the La Sirena and uh, you know you can have your legacy kind of thing and so we see, we're back in the bar and and Rafi and Seven uh, find Picard where have you been and um he starts to tell him but they never mind we don't care and then uh they they tell him that we got to get back to the ship and they thankfully uh, talon has a, a a transporter they can use and um so they decide they and so guinan and and picard say their goodbyes to each other and she says good luck to him and so on and so forth and then we then we end with the the scene where um, the mercenaries are there now, and uh, Girardi goes over to them and starts to assimilate them, but with her with her newly formed tech. 
Which, uh, by the way, I didn't mention earlier that um, Evan said it wouldn't be the best Borg technology because it's kind of a hacky version. So there may be some some ability, like maybe maybe like stormtroopers, they won't be able to fire their guns in the straight lines, right? So <laughs> in the next episode, but yeah, that's where we left off in this one. What do you think? Time you and me. Get in there, Jaime. I wanted to to note that I think the Vulcan thing really felt like a, a, a tip of the hat to Enterprise, right? In the Carbon Creek episode. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It, the, the timing isn't quite right. I know people on the internet are talking about, well, that, that happened in the 50s. I'm like, bro, if that happened in the 50s and they just stuck around for a little longer, especially a very short period of time by Vulcan uh, lifetimes, uh, I could totally see the situation he has happening in the, what was this guy probably happened in like the eighties or nineties, I guess, given his age. Was it, was it the Vulcans that were living with the Paul on earth? Like when they were observing, it was like her right? ancestors or something. Grandmother. Okay. Something? Yeah. But this also was like the, the, uh, I guess so. It was also like the, um, uh, first contact where the Vulcans come and, you know, have a drink with, the. Uh, um, is that from Cochran, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think it's supposed to have overtones of all of those things. I think we're supposed to get the idea that perhaps the Vulcans pop by from time to time in the 21st century. I think they're just not convinced that humans are worth interacting with, but that doesn't mean they can't do a little scientific research while they're here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, John? Yeah, I you already mentioned that you kind of sort of read through the. Like I, what I think was was cool for me was because I watched the first part and then went and did work for a while and then came back and watched the rest of it. I'd forgotten about the little clip of the kid in the beginning because it was really short. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think uh, it was kind of a. I guess it's an episode to be expected at this point, right? So we've got two episodes to go. So this is continuing to build the stakes. So. You know, they've got the different things going on. We've got, you know, Q, a little more revelation about him. We've got, you know, I sort of extricated ourselves from the uh, from the, the FBI trap thing that they ended on, on the last episode. But um, I think this one was really just about setting the stage for sort of the climactic last couple of episodes where now we see that, you know, Gerardi has gotten these, these rare elements that she needed so that she can actually properly assimilate. So she's got this crew of people now. So when theoretically in defending La Serena next episode, they kill a bunch of these people Well, they were going to be Borgs anyways, and they had to die. Uh, I'm more interested in the big picture. So there was another, I had mentioned in our last episode, my sort of speculative thoughts on, you know, Renee and the launch and what it means. But there was a couple of little drop in lines with, uh, what's the little boy's name? Is it Ricardo? Ricardo. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple little drop-in lines when he's on uh, La Serena with um, Rios and, and Teresa, and they're talking about, you know, he's a really clever little boy. He's a really clever boy. He's really interested in uh, in flowers, plants, I think they said. 
And I just feel like it feels like another set of breadcrumbs for like he's really important. There's something about this kid. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was thinking I, the same thing actually. Yeah. I wonder if you know, again, it you know, obviously the whole thing around the Europa mission, it's not a complete red herring. It wouldn't be but then Q was talking in riddles as Q is is prone to do and sort of saying, well, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not about, what did you, how did they phrase it? It's not about going, it's not about the trap. It's about the escape. Yeah, it was the, yeah, the, it's not, yeah, exactly. The skip is the important part is what Q said. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to piece it all together. And, and that's the part that sort of keeps my mind occupied. And, and I just, I'm trying to figure out like, how does this all play out? So Rios and, and, and Teresa are falling in love. Okay. Sure. The little kid now knows about like spaceships and stuff. So what do they do about that? They're going to be on the ship when theoretically everybody is now going to regroup back at the ship. So the crew is going to reunite. They're going to have to defend La Serena. That'll be the, the next episode, right? Um, yeah. So I, I guess the question is, how does this all culminate? What is... What is the big sort of MacGuffin thing that that Hugh is trying to sort of show Picard as his last gesture before theoretically his his death? And is it about is it about the Picard legacy as as has sort of been sort of telegraphed? Is it about love? Is it about attachment? Is it about again this this little kid who you know? They had to come back as they had to get this kid on his path. I don't know. I'm I'm genuinely curious to how this this puzzle that they've been building comes together, or maybe that's the red herring, and it it's really just about you know Q trying to teach another obscure lesson to Picard before he shuffles off. Mm-hmm. Uh, all things being said, it wasn't a knockout episode. It, it kind of just kept things moving forward. You know, I guess any time where, you know, you're faced with the sort of, you know, uh, authoritarian symbol like the FBI guy is in this one. And in the end, you basically end up, you know, uh, confessing all of your sins. You probably didn't win, although you did go free, I suppose. But it's um come back, I come back to the the there's somebody there that you need to was it the Borg queen that said that there's somebody there that you need to that needs to help you because I mean that that's is it ultimately is it Guinan that's helping or is it Alan that's helping is it <laughs> I got the impression that that this was the end of Guinan on this series I don't think we're seeing her again but we got no Talon in this episode the point was that there was one particular person that was supposed to be able to aid Picard in this whole thing. Like, like who's the, who's the, the significant character? Is it Rene Picard? Is it Alan? Is it Guinan? Is it Agent Wells? Is it Ricardo? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like who's, who's the, who's the secret sauce here that's going to make everything go away. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I was trying to figure out because they had said that what what Renee's notable accomplishment is, is that she goes to Io and she discovers a microorganism that changes the course of human history. Right. And that is what ends up foiling Soong and sort of setting humanity on a different path. And I was trying to figure out, okay, if it's a microorganism, is there a tie-in to something? And I was like, well, I can't can't find the thread, so I, I don't know how it's coming together, but yeah. Well, this isn't this, the Nunyin Sung. Like, Nunyin Sung's the one who built data, right? Yeah, this would be theoretically an ancestor, right? Although yeah. it's funny, because they make a point of saying, like, you know, you, you basically die in a pool of your own vomit if you don't go down this path, and mm-hmm. I guess somewhere in there he manages to actually procreate? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because, yeah, like, how how does his line get carried carried on if, yeah, he's not around, right? So, Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they do bring this all together in the end. Mm-hmm. A couple episodes left. Do y'all think it'll wrap um, and have a, a soft lead in to season three, or do you think it's a hard cliff of uh, a cliffhanger? I think I think it'll probably end proper. Although I love where you're going with that. I mean, again, we already know that we're getting the TNG crew back for the next season. So theoretically, either they have to go backwards or Picard has to go forwards at the end of all this. The logical jump would be for them to go forwards. But I guess the question is, you know, is everything fixed? Is everything right? Or are they going back to something that's, you know, unique or different or otherwise? I I think it would be disappointing for them to alter anything dramatically in the timeline and not have those people be the same people that we love for a third and final season. I mean, ostensibly season three sounds like it's going to be, you know, the, the TNG wrap up that I think we all really wanted, uh, but never got because nemesis fizzled. So I, I kind of want it to be, you know, the final TNG reunion farewell to all these characters kind of deal. And I don't know that I want timey-wimey stuff to interfere with that. I, I don't know if that would be satisfying. The, 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 thing, the thing that's puzzling me is, like, is how, how, how will they reset the timeline so, to the point where it's, like, untouched? I mean, there's a lot, lots, lots changed in this, this, um, this universe, you know, this, this world, like they, like, how are they, how do they fix this really? Right. You know, like, it's not like back to the future where, you know, that they can just go back and because even Marty's life is not the same in the end of back to the future. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe some, some things are changed for the better, but, or, or maybe it is just status quo. They were always meant to go back. This is the way that it always has been. And again, Temporal storytelling. In the JJ verse, you know, we have the whole Spock line where you know he does the reunification thing, and then he's got the uh, battle with the the Romulan dude, uh, not the Romulan dude, the mining guy. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then he ends up being like they end up having two Spocks. You know. Yep. Two Spocks, no waiting. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Moon Knight. Yeah, let's let's recap the Moon Knight. 
Who's doing it? Didn't it me? Is it is it me? I can't remember. We had conversations. Yeah, it's you. I think. Right? Is it me? I think you had thrown yourself on that one. So yeah, the, the the that and the Picard conversation. Yeah. So Moon Knight: The Tomb is is kind of interesting to recap because it starts off more or less where we ended with uh, Layla and um, and Mark in the in the desert, having just. Uh, work with Kanshu to move the sky back in time so they could see where they needed to go. And Kanshu being um, uh, imprisoned in the in the statue, right, and put up on like a like a trophy shelf of other ones. It looks like. Um, and there's a little bit of action. You know, they run into some people who who, who try killing them, but that's uh, kind of less interesting than them getting over to the tomb itself, which definitely leans pretty hard into um, Indiana Jones territory. Oh yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of moody. It's kind of creepy. Um, uh, Steven is, is geeking out over the fact that, uh, you know, they're, they're in this beautiful tomb and I wouldn't be surprised if this thing came alive and, and, you know, gave me riddles three to figure out so I could, you know, prove that I'm worthy of getting in. Um, uh, Harrow's crew, is in there too. And, and they see evidence of conflict. They're like, what the heck were they shooting at in here? There shouldn't be anything alive for them to shoot. Right. And we do end up eventually finding that this really weird, creepy, um, forget, was it like the priests or something that would, uh, uh take out the, the organs for, for, yeah, they make it basically sound like it's these, uh, these sort of more or less. Yeah. Like, uh, like, priests or, or witches more or less that are that are sort of entombed there that have uh have become the undead yeah yeah so you, you know you've got tense scenes with with them trying to avoid one of them uh you've got uh throughout this whole episode you got layla doing some like um pretty cool you know pulling yourself up by your bootstraps kind of stuff like i i was fully expecting in a, a more traditional kind of show like oh, okay She's going to get in trouble. She's going to fight back a little bit, but ultimately the guy's going to come in and say, like, nope, she does it all herself as, as best she can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I did find it's funny cause she seemed super capable in previous episodes, not, not quite the damsel damsel in distress. And this one, she felt a little more, a little less sure, a little less confident than she had been in previous episodes. Yeah, she seemed much yeah. more hesitant. I mean, she's supposed to be thrown by the whole, uh, you know, what she just saw and everything. But she didn't seem as cocksure, I guess, as as, as she had been in the previous ones. Yeah, I, I I do get that same sort of feeling, and they do set up throughout the episode that she's starting to figure out. Like, I I kind of think my dad was killed, and I kind of think Mark was involved, and. Uh, Harrow certainly plays into that, right? Of like, hey, why don't you guys do what happened? Um, and uh, it wasn't Mark that ended up killing her father, but it was um, his partner, uh, who apparently mm-hmm. also shot and attempted to kill and possibly killed. Uh, I think he, he didn't go into it, but it seems like that's where Konshu uh, came into play and said, hey, if you, if you join my team, I'll, I'll save your life. Yeah. Uh, they they walked right up to the edge of saying that, and and they really they really didn't. Um, so that that was kind of interesting. I also thought it was kind of interesting that um, you have uh, 
this very, um, oh, it's just Tuesday kind of moment where Stephen recognizes that, oh my gosh, Macedonian is this, holy smokes, this is the tomb of Alexander the Great. Yeah. And it, you know, promptly ends up having to violate the body to find Amit's uh, <laughs> Ushabti, I think they called it. Ushabti, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they kind of move on for that pretty quick. And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. This is like a brand, a, a grand thing that you would find. I'm like, well, in a post Thanos world, in a post, uh, celestials kind of world, this is maybe just Tuesday. I'm like, all right, moving on. <laughs> the well, the archaeologists will come in and hand catalog this later. They, they kind of did the same thing with the zombies, right? Like, yeah, that was a zombie. Like so far, as far as we know, there aren't zombies in the MCU. They were just like, eh, it's a zombie. It's Tuesday. Like, nope, wrong. Back up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget where this happened, but somewhere along the way, um, did, did Mark punch Steve? Yeah. Mark punch Steve. Right. Did I have that correct? Uh, yeah. So, so Steven kisses uh, Layla, right? It, very and awkwardly, right? Because like she's viewing this guy as like, this is, you know, my husband. And it's very clear that it's like a first kiss, which shouldn't yep. make sense from her side, but totally makes sense when Steven is a, a different person. And he's, uh, in, as an actor, it, Oscar Isaac is impressively bad at this, uh, at this kiss yeah. to, to fill that role. Or, uh, yep. or a, a dreamy guy, um, and and it is kind of fun to see <laughs> to see them interacting with each other, especially as you end up with you know the the big conflict with Harrow and his crew. Uh, Harrow shoots uh, uh, Mark, I think it was Mark Specter at that point. Yes, and you go yep. into the weird psychiatric hospital area with all these people from his life. Like Harrow is the the uh, psychiatrist, and Layla's there, but she's also an inmate and. You know, he's tied to like, uh, uh, strapped in by his leg to his, uh, his wheelchair. And it gets real, real weird as, you know, Mark and, and Steven are, are both there as people and in, including this, uh, this other sarcophagus, right? Cause, cause, uh, Steven was found inside of a sarcophagus and they're like, yeah, let's not open that one. And then the craziest ending for an episode is the hippopotamus headed figure, which I am not familiar <laughs> with Egypt, <laughs> Egyptian mythology to know who the heck that is. But I was like, holy smokes, what an, what a, what a way to smash into an ending for an episode. Yeah, it was, um, it was a weird one. So I, I think that was supposed to be Tauret, Tauret, the, the, the God of fertility and rejuvenation. um, yeah, so a hippopotamus head, lion's arms and paws, and crocodile's tail and legs. Tuaret is closely associated with being a protector of women and families. I, I wrote this down yesterday when I watched this. Uh, I'm not sure how how that all ties together with, with where Mark slash Stephen is, are. But yeah, it's uh, this was a real twisty, turny, bizarro episode to go from like, as you say, a Raiders of the Lost homage to you know Alexander's tomb, zombies, 
uh, Harrow and uh, and Layla and the sort of the, the learning the truth that that Mark was there when her father was murdered, and then yeah, spinning that around into Mark well, being monkeys. shot, and then yeah, and then waking up in the hospital. You know, I, I think it was pretty clear that that was inside of his mind, but then we know that he has a sort of fractured mind, and so how does that all play out? And yeah, it's it's uh, this was very weird. It was a very, it was a very weird episode. Yeah, I like the whole twelve monkeys aspect of it. I mean, like you know, like is this really? It's also a bit a bit Loki ish, like you know, in in the sense that I'm mean, making that a verb too. That. Um, <laughs> They, you know, it's kind of, you flip from one, one reality to another kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Beg's question now is, was the first four, epi- four episodes in his head or is this, ep- this last part of this episode in his head? And yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I think the idea is we're supposed to be like, yeah, it's supposed to be that sort of is like, is he just crazy psychosis well i mean that's what they say that the the definition of 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 the difference between being insane and and psychosis is um one is you build a fantasy world and the other one you move into it you know um so the this is obviously like but it's it's interesting that it's all very clean and you know harrow is as the the head doctor is you know clean cut and and uh and and re- realizes all the stories that that Mark's been telling him, kind of thing, you know, like relaying all this stuff about. And of course, Haro as the Doctor is the is the antagonist in in the first part. Whether you know which part is the real real part and which part's his mind, you know. As you know, I love these kind of stories where they where they just everybody turns left, you know. Hello. Um, one of my favorite books by I by Vonnegut is called. You guys have lost Titan, me. It's about this Sounds like we lost him. Who, is sent on this mission to go Jimmy, and there? get on a rocket and fly. Yeah, Jim sort of cut out mid-sentence Uh-oh. there for me. Okay, okay. I thought that was me. I was starting to look around to see if my internet was still, Are you still there. Yeah. I was about to yell at my children. Let's see. Tim is the host now. What happened? Your, your recording still working on your end, right? Are you there? Can you hear me? Hey, there you go. Yeah, okay. you dropped off there for a second, Tim. You were mid-sentence, and you just sort of disappeared. Well, I stopped talking because the all of a sudden the Zoom call sort of said, oh, the Zoom call's over. I'm like, uh, no, it's not. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I'll, I'll just keep going. I, I don't know how far you heard about that, but um, where did you, what's the last thing you heard? I did stop talking intentionally. Well, as long as you have your recording, I think we're okay. Yeah, where was I going with this? Um, made me lose my train of thought. Yep. Ah, oh, man. Oh, well, it'll come back. Yeah. I don't remember what I was saying, right? Yep. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they bring this back around. I, I'm actually genuinely surprised that we didn't get the Jake reveal... The, the third personality reveal in this episode. Again, more allusions to it, as you said, mm-hmm. in, in the hospital. We saw the, the third sarcophagus shaking like somebody right. who wants to get out. Yeah. But 
given how far they leaned into it on the last episode with, well, that wasn't me. Well, that wasn't me. It must have been somebody else. And they kind of built towards it. I I thought we were going to get that here. And I'm, I'm surprised that four episodes, full episodes in and lots of hints dropped through this that, that we haven't met that that third personality yet. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, interesting so, story. I mean, they've only got two two more episodes to go. Two yeah, more to go. Only, only six total. Yeah. So, I guess at this point now we're two thirds of the way in. So this one again, I found really the idea intriguing. This is the first MCU whole cloth new character that we've gotten in Disney Plus, and you know. We talked about it a little bit with with Shang Chi and with the Eternals as sort of the newcomers on the movie front last year. That you know people weren't super excited; they were curious, but not like, "Oh my God, can't wait!" Shang Chi, I think, got a lot more praise. I think Eternals took a little bit of, of flack. This is the first time we've had something that was not built on previously known characters, previously built IP through the movies that people are familiar with. Are you finding it engaging you? Are you finding that it doesn't feel connected to the MCU? Are you, are you missing that sort of uh, familiarity of the MCU? Like, do, are you waiting for guest stars to show up like so many of these previous things? Are you waiting for a Marvel-y twist to this? Or are you just happy with a, with the story as is? Hmm. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, that it is barely separated from the others at least where it's starting from here. Hmm. I guess I haven't missed it because I haven't, uh, I guess I implicitly know that it's part of the overall plan, um, for the, the current phase. I just haven't, um, haven't felt like I was missing the connection to the other stuff. Maybe because we already had the other series that had connections to other stuff. Um, Whereas if they had, you know, come out of the gate with this one, maybe would have been like, oh man, this Marvel stuff is so weird on TV. How come it doesn't connect to the regular stuff? Yeah. You know, like it, it could just be timing and that, uh, they, they scratched that itch there. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I totally trust you. You'll, you'll probably tie it together in some way. I'm curious too. So it was, it was sort of widely made, made known before the, before Moon Knight came out, that Oscar Isaacs signed only for this six episodes. Oh, really? Oh. He made it clear that he understood from working on Star Wars previously that he did not want what he called the golden handcuffs of, well, I've got the job security, but I'm tied to something. So even if I'm not loving where they're going with the character or what I'm doing or whatever, that I'm stuck doing this over and over and over again. I think that's interesting. Now he hasn't said I'm not doing anymore. He hasn't said I won't be in any movies. He hasn't said I won't do a second season. What he said was I'm just doing this for now. So I think he's keeping his options open to say, if this works and I like it and I enjoy the experience and I can come back and do some more, I will. Or if I see a good script that fits Mark slash Steven slash Jake slash Moon Knight in, in a logical way, then cool. But I'm not committed to doing that. It makes me kind of excited though, because I kind of feel like they have to wrap this up in a satisfying conclusion. It can't just be another, 
what a twist. We're going to go watch this new movie. It's going to be tied into this thing. Like, they kind of need to land this plane in the next two episodes on the chance that Oscar says, you know what? I'm a great actor. I've got parts throwing at me left and right. I do not need the money because I was already in three Star Wars movies. And I'm done. So I'm kind of hopeful for this being a really nice, tight six episodes that tells a full story and isn't just about foundation building, which Marvel is so so known for now. So where does where does this Moon Knight go in terms of the comics? Like, is it like in the graphic novels? Is it is it like a whole series of like you know? runs or is it like one story that somebody wrote? no i mean moon knight's been around since the 70s he yeah, was sort of a supporting character initially popping up in uh originally in werewolf by night which was a, a popular 70s sort of horror-ish comic and later teaming up with spider-man and, and and some other appearances and then he got his own series that ran for just about three years in the I would say early eighties and has come back. He's had different short lived series. He had another five, five year run on another series over the past, I'll say eight to 10 years. There's been a more consistent sort of series of Moon Knight series taken on by different people. So Warren Ellis, famous writer, took on and did a run. Jeff Lemire, who is a Canadian creator, a a tremendous writer and artist, uh, he did a a pretty well-known run. And they've all sort of taken turns expanding on the original principle of, you know, this person, you know, again, it was the 70s, then it was the 80s, then it was the 90s, then it was the aughts. They haven't always dealt with his mental health in the most healthy ways. You know, it was, you know, he's got split personalities. He's a crazy person. Okay, well, that's not what somebody who has this, you know, kind of condition is is thought of nowadays. So they've dealt with it with, you know, more and more sort of thought and, and refinement and creativity. And some so some of the new stories are really fantastic. And I think that's where they're drawing some of the inspiration. It's clearly the Lemire run is an inspiration for this. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what else they add into more episodes or if they focus on let's, yeah, let's try and land this in a nice tidy fashion we can always if we get a second season or if we decide to bring him into another project you know marvel's already announced uh, marvel slash disney has already announced they're going to do a werewolf by night uh uh, adaptation so now people are thinking they're going to end up doing um what is known in the comic books as sort of a midnight suns which is sort of the, the the horror based comic book characters it'll be interesting to see how they end this series if they leave the door open. I imagine they will leave the door open because I don't think they want to run out of six, six uh, uh, episode series and then just be like, and that was the last we heard of, of Moon Knight. But I also think it has to end in a somewhat satisfactory manner. Right. Right. Cool. Well, we'll see. In the meantime, let's move on to our watch list. And Jaime, you're up first. Yeah, I apologize because you're going to have to go on eBay to get these because they're sold out. (laughs) Uh, What I'm talking about here is the Folio Society's just beautiful um, 
editions of the Lord of the Rings, these are $1,500 or $500 a piece for each of the books, but beautifully bound uh, sets, beautifully illustrated. They're, they're the kind of ones that will look great on the bookshelf. They'll look great when you're reading them to the children, to the grandchildren, and bequeathing them to your your uh, uh, descendants. Um, they're, they're, I don't know, they're just amazing. It's probably worth looking at the, the YouTube video on these. Uh, 1500 is a little pricey for, for my uh, library, but I was definitely quite jealous to see that these existed in a, in a limited to 1,000 numbered copies. And they've got more stuff. I was not familiar before this with the Folio Society, but they've got other cool stuff. Um, you know, uh, Peter Pan and Wendy, or Peter and Wendy, apologies, and uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and other stuff. Just really well done. Uh, not not the mass market sort of stuff that you would have, uh, you know, like at uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble kind of thing. You know, read it and then you know toss it or donate it. These are more like keepsakes, heirloom. Yeah, they've they've done some some comic book stuff in the past too. They've got uh, like these collector's edition Spider Man Cap, some some really cool stuff. So. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've been aware of their products for a while. I didn't, didn't see the Lord of the Ring ones, but, uh, they're, they do make these lovely books, but damn, are they expensive? Like the, the, I know the, the, I looked at the Captain America one and the, uh, Spider-Man one, I think they were about 150 bucks a piece. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have some very high end books in my collection, but, uh, I think I, when I saw them, I was like, well, it's less, less best not to smoke that crack. I'll just try and stick to the crack I'm already smoking over here. I don't need any more drug addictions. Thank you. Yeah, a thousand bucks or something, right? They're again, all of the books they produce are beautiful, but uh, but boy, that's a hobby that'll get you fast. Yeah, these ones are the the run was fifteen hundred US Tim or a thousand pounds. It looks like. Uh, but they're like for for those who are kind of wondering about the quality, it's like if they had printed the Bible and your priest was using this to uh, to give sermons, it's that level of quality of like this is going to be hanging around and be used quite a bit for a long time. This isn't the 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 read it on the read it on the the bus all dog eared kind of thing. This is a, a scholarly sort of take on it. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Next. Next thing we've got is Star Trek The Next Generation, the animated series oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, YouTube yeah. short with um, with <laughs> accompanying uh, How We Made This, which came out a few days later, which is interesting. Um, so it takes that uh, the anim- Star Trek The Animated Series style and applies it to uh, one scene from TNG with um, the best of both worlds, and it is brilliant. It, it, it looks great. It looks like, wow, I kind of want to see uh, this become a real thing paramount plus go go figure out a way to make this happen because this is fun you guys uh end yeah, up watching this really cool. yeah felt, yeah I, I, right. I i'd like it go for it. it it felt right and the the video that shows how uh the guy animated this where he you know he he intentionally took the all right limited animation animation that is cost efficient to make um, you know, the, the TV uh, grain, the, well, you know what? 
an artist doing this for an animated series wouldn't try to literally recreate the bridge of the enterprise. They do an artistic interpretation of the feel of the bridge of the enterprise D and I'm like, yeah, that's true. And he even did this one angle that he's like, I don't think they literally did this in any episode where they like would have had to have had a crane on top of uh, the bridge looking down. And he said, Oh, you know what? Um, even though in the real episode, they were normal human beings. Uh, I'm just going to put uh, an alien here at the helm uh, because why not? Right. In animation, you can do that. That's why you have yep. lower decks with um, Dr. Tana, right? A, a harder to do in real life character. Well, in the original series, it, there was an alien at the com like, you know, yep. flying the ship. Yeah. The animated so, series, you know, yeah. it, it stays in the same um, same spirit of uh, of that uh, thing. Great, great homage. Well. Whose link is the next one? Is that link? I think that's a, that's the same one, right? That's the, is that the follow up? Oh, that's or? one I put in. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right. Um, so I've got a couple things. The uh, Venom sequel, Venom: Let There Be Carnage, is dropping on Amazon Prime on April twenty second here in Canada. I think it's the same across. Um, the states as well for uh, as part of the subscription so i will make an effort to watch that in the same way that i uh watched the first one i think on amazon or netflix or something like that i, I don't know that i'm going to make it a priority this weekend but it is nice knowing that it's there i i'm taking the big bag of popcorn theory introduced by our good friend jaime lopez uh that i think this is uh you know it's not going to be high intelligence. I don't think you're going to have to work very hard, but if you're sitting there with a big bag of popcorn and some time to kill, it'll probably be, uh, you know, blow up pretty good. So, I, uh, yeah, I think I'll make an effort to watch that one sometime in the next little while. Cool. Uh, what I am very excited about is Barry, the HBO series, returning this weekend. So it's been almost three years since Barry's season two wrapped up. Uh, I don't know if either of you have watched Barry so far, but uh, I found it to be an incredibly affecting series. The The performances are incredible. Bill Hader is uh, sublime in it. Um, you know, Henry Winkler won an Emmy Award for his performance in, in season two and, and well-deserved. Um, and, and Sarah Goldberg has been unbelievable as, as the sort of main uh, female lead. And she's been, uh, her performances have been astonishing. So there's so many good performances. There's so many good actors. It's almost a perfect dark comedy. It's, it, it vacillates between being, you know, uh, hilariously funny and heartbreakingly sad from episode to episode. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so excited to see more from this world that, that they have created the first couple of seasons. So I'm definitely going to tune in on Sunday for that one. Uh, drops on HBO Max slash HBO and uh, Crave here in Canada on the 24th of April. I haven't gotten into this one, so I would probably have to start, you know, for the first season and might maybe coincidentally do it because I'm thinking this weekend or the next I'll do HBO Max to watch the Batman binge peacemaker and maybe see if uh, if i can get into barry because in our household um we tried getting into the kaminsky method as hypothetically a comedy we said mm, this might be a little bit more dark and and dark is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there comedy um yeah it wasn't it wasn't funny haha it was more like oh man that is uh that is harsh <laughs> Like the very yeah, first I mean the, the the story the story for Barry is that he's a hitman who 
you know, he used to, used to be in the U.S. military. He comes out and he becomes a hitman. And one of his jobs basically brings him to Los Angeles. While he's there, he uh, audits this acting class and he just falls in love with it and decides, you know what, I don't want to be a hitman anymore. I want to be an actor. And so it's this sort of weird, wild, twisted world of him, you know, suddenly deciding midstream to take this like radical career shift and about how, you know, no matter how hard you try, you can't just leave your past behind and and how those two worlds sort of collide with one another. And he has to sort of repay debts and 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 sort of, you know, do all these things while trying to still, you know, make it big in Hollywood. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really good. Bill Hader, again, I, I thought he was a, a tremendous, funny character actor, uh, but I did not know he had this in him. And he is every measure for, for the quality of it. He is, he's really, really good in it. Um, working in, in the, on the, uh, the binge side though, for you, Jaime, is that it's only like 30 to 35 minutes per episode or 25 to 30 minutes per episode. And there's only been, two seasons of eight episodes a piece. So 16 episodes, you know, you're looking at about eight hours a watch. That's, that's Ooh, it's not bad. That's achievable within the one month. Subscribe to HBO Max and then quim- uh, promptly quit. Uh, unless they come but up with something else. Mm. They're also doing eight episodes and that episode starts with this Sunday. So <laughs> you'd have to math that out too. So it needs to be good for me to continue at some point in the future. That's but right. not so good that I feel like sticking around for that extra month. Hmm. Yeah, the, the the brand new world of streaming, right? Yep. Well, you know, I think the writing's on the wall. What you do is you drop Netflix for a couple of months and you pick that up. That that certainly seems possible. That that might happen. Yeah. Although finishing up Cobra Kai and um, mm. uh, crap, what was the other? I I needed to do the the Witcher season two, and I'm partway through Russian Doll. Russian Doll is the That's one I'm right. getting. Russian Doll. I'm gonna watch the whole thing this weekend. Yeah, I haven't seen that mm. one yet, and doing um cuphead partway through cuphead and um oh nice you know what i should just stick to season because what i'm doing is i'm doing a whole bunch of things at once i've also got to do disenchantment uh, disenchanted because i'm like partway through that too yeah i haven't seen that one yet need to focus focus my attention (laughs) get your priorities straight one season at a time and then do another (laughs) season and then instead of you know context switching between all these seasons so can you download Netflix if you're traveling? Yeah, uh-huh. I do that all the time um, when I'm you know going on airplanes and stuff, which is more common now again. Um, word to the wise, uh, HBO Max, if you're paying for the Max stuff, lets you download Netflix. I think every tier possibly lets you download. Paramount Plus lets you download. Uh, Hulu, the cheap plan I'm on, does not. Um, Amazon lets you download. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who, who disappointed me? Somebody else disappointed me, right? Who did I miss? Hmm. I'm not yeah, sure. I have to use a VPN when I'm in Europe next week. Oh, uh, YouTube TV does not let you download unless you're on the 4k plan, I think, which I'm not. Mm. So it, it's one of those annoyances. Like, are you serious? Letting me download for like the handful of times I'm going to use this on an airplane. You're, you're seriously going to hold that for a premium tier. I guess I guess some people must must pay for it. Somebody somebody did the math. Yeah, I mean, so there's always something on one of those services that you can download a bunch of. I think uh, I was watching. I think I, that's how I watched one of the seasons of Disenchantment. Was just flying back and forth to Ottawa. I watched and downloaded a ballot. 
All right. Well, my last, I've got two here, quick ones. Uh, there's a new Buzz Lightyear trailer. Second trailer just came out. Um, I'm not sure when it came out, but yeah, I just saw it earlier today and I just wanted to point that out. If you're into that kind of thing, it looks really cool. It looks a little, little more extended than the other one, sort of different take on the, the travels, more looking at some of the characters are going to be in there. And my last one, this literally right off, hot off the press, just got announced, is the Lego Landspeeder, Luke Skywalker Landspeeder, um, which interestingly costs as much as the um, Space Shuttle Discovery model. So It must um, be a deluxe version, because I, I have a set that has the Landspeeder that came out probably yeah. six or seven years ago. But it's a yeah. pretty rudimentary one. I think it was only like 30 bucks or something, and it was just, it's like... Obi-Wan, Luke, the two yeah. droids, and a little land speeder that fits them. And I think there's like a, a, the, the, these aren't the droids you're looking for, stormtroopers included or something for, yeah, it's like 30 or 40 bucks. Well, this one is, this one is, it's huge. Like, um, you know, it's pretty big. Um, so this is like the collector series ones, like the, the gigantic yeah, ass Millennium the Falcon they did. And with the stand. Yeah. And then, and then it's got the, um, it's got Luke and it comes with Luke and C-3PO with, Oh yeah, I see it. Oh, that's nice. That's a leg, nice yeah. looking set. Two sixty nine. Yeah, and, and if you look Canadian. at it on the, on the table, it's it, it's got to be like twelve inches, twelve or so inches long, right? So it's they're, they're calling it a reboot, right? So yeah. But I wonder if part of the price is because it's got the Star Wars name on it, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, for two hundred and seventy bucks, you can buy a lot of a lot bigger and fancier. Uh, Star Wars or Star Wars with Lego sets. Although again, this is almost two thousand pieces, so mm. it's funny though. It's one of those sets where they're like, "It's two thousand pieces." I'm like, "Yeah, but a lot of those pieces are under the hood," you know. True, and that that new Ecto Ecto, it's the Ecto one, the rewind from the Ghostbusters movie. It's the same price, roughly two fifty nine, two two sixty nine, so Canadian. Yeah. So it's probably like what fifty bucks American. I mean, <laughs> it is two hundred and fourteen dollars US. I just looked yeah. up the conversion. Not cheap. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's two sixty here. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's expensive. Hmm. But it ain't no Millennium Falcon. That's all I gotta say. Did uh, speaking of Lightyear uh, to circle back? Did you did you see the story today? I I just glanced at it. I haven't read the whole thing, but uh, so Pixar created a virtual IMAX camera to oh, really make Lightyear. Really? So hmm. it's it's one point four three to one aspect ratio. Yeah, and. Yeah, it basically it it's it's made to simulate the the filming style of of yeah, IMAX cool. through animation. Interesting, really interesting. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Coolio. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it for this week. And so, hey, Jonathan, people want to people want to get in touch with you. Where do they find you? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter, and Instagram is at JPK News. And Jaime, if people want to get a hold of you. I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And my name is Timitra. T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A is my name on Twitter. And that's where you'll find me on the Twitter machine. I'm also on GitHub as T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. So I've just updated my GitHub page thanks to Jaime's input from yesterday's More Than Just Code. With that, I will see you guys in the future. And we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast, 
or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpotCast.com slash SponsorUs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.